Hello, everyone. It's November 5th, 2018 in Akron, Ohio, and welcome to Chanel's Language Learning Journey podcast, where amazing things happen with your host, Chanel Patrice Hancock. Today, we will be discussing learning more than one language at the same time, and is that something that you should do? Well, I can say in my experience of learning languages independently for the past four years that I have come to the understanding that learning languages one by one seems to work best for me because you get to focus on that one language in all its elements. The reading, the writing, the listening, the pronunciation, the speaking, the grammar. And a lot of people seem to think that if you add a language or two or three or four or even five languages at the same time that you can become proficient in all of them. Well, what people fail to realize is that you're not going to really become proficient. You're going to slowly scuttle along the language learning process when learning more than one language at a time. Now, I'm not saying you couldn't learn two languages. That would be uh, something that would be up to you. I've done it. I've learned Spanish and English at the same time. However, what I had to do was my English in the morning and my Spanish in the afternoon. And that works very well for me. However, if you were to learn something like Hungarian and Finnish, those are two languages that have a lot of cases, a lot of intense grammar, sentence structure, uh, issues, and it would take quite a bit of time, more than three months, to be able to really learn the fundamentals of each language. A lot of my polyglot friends have stated if you learn two languages in the same family, like Spanish and French, it's much more easier to be able to learn them quickly uh, because they come from the same language learning family. On one end, I can agree with that. Um, you know, I know Spanish very well, and I'm learning French and Italian at the moment, and I can say that I don't get them mixed up at all, um, and they're from the same language family. There's similar vocabulary from all three languages, there's English involved as well, and I seem not to get 
them mixed up, which is great. But when it comes down to Brazilian Portuguese, that's where the difficulty lies because it's similar to Spanish. And so sometimes I get my Italian and my Spanish mixed up with my Brazilian Portuguese. And, you know, I decided at the beginning of the year, this is what I would do. I would study it for six weeks. I did just that, six-week trial. I made a lot of cool friends, but I found that the language was not for me, so I put it down and did not put it back into my head anymore because it was conflicting with my Spanish and my Italian. And so I decided to focus on my French. And yes, so I have a tem- tendency to dabble. Yes, I do. I Right now, I'm dabbling in Turkish. And Swedish. And they're at the same level, which is beginning. And I'm hitting an A2 level in French right now. And I'm enjoying it. So, I mean, I... I can say if you chose French and Chinese or French and Turkish, that might be a little bit more easier for you to grasp if you want to study them, you know, for a year at the same time. You might practice your French from 6 to 8 and then practice your Turkish from noon to 2, just as an example. Okay, that's feasible. You know, however, sometimes the languages can overlap each other. And if you're studying more than two, it's going to slow your productivity down tremendously. And that's not something you really want to do. But, you know, I'm here to say if you do succeed at learning more than one language at the same time, let me know in my um, voice box on anchor.fm, Chanel's Language Learning Journey Podcast. Because I really would love to know. I mean, I've never done more than two languages at the same time. But you also have to be passionate and motivated for these languages. There has to be a reason for why you want to learn them. Not just because, you know... You think it might be cool, but some people do it because they think it's cool, you know. Um, you know, it, it also depends on what proficiency level you want to get to. Do you want to be conversational at an A2, B1, stick to that? Or you want to be highly proficient and get to that C1 level? Well, that's going to take some time. So if you want to get to a C1 by the end of, like, one year... In French, yes, you could do it. But you're going to have to put some time into it. More than an hour. I would say about two hours a day, five days a week with weekends off. And make it fun. Don't make it seem like it's a chore. Because it doesn't have to be. Um, You know, okay, I know Russian. So if I wanted to learn another Slavic language from the Slavic language branch, I would choose something like Polish. Because it's similar to Russian. It might have one more case system than what Russian does. It has seven. Um, Okay, fine. 
But if I find something that's interesting about the language, then yes, I'm going to learn it. Um, you know, whether it's I want to watch movies, or I want to read a comic book, or I want to read Harry Potter, or I want to cook meals, or I want to date a Polish guy, or a Russian guy, or a French guy, or a Turkish guy, whatever it may be. Um, you know, when you decide to learn a language, just understand you're going to have to put a lot of time into it. It's not going to come easy. Um, some things might, like your vocabulary in the beginning. You're going to be filled with a lot of incitement and enthusiasm to want to learn that language. And it's going to be great for the first two months. Three months tops. Then after you get yourself into it, like over 100 hours worth of study time, you're going to say to yourself, okay, this is for the long haul. But if you're just dabbling and you might do 40, 50 hours in the language, then that's okay too. You get disinterested, you can always put it down. You can always come back to it or not. It just depends on the person. I know if, if it doesn't interest me at the moment, but I know I'll put some money and some time into a course, I'll put it down for a little bit, and then I'll come back to it when I feel like it, if I feel like it. But there's no particular rule that says... You you have to study this many languages at the same time. I would be um, someone that would want to do two languages. Um, you know, one from each language family, just so I wouldn't get them mixed up. Um, you know, now how much time I want to put into them, that's up to me. I usually try to put an hour to 90 minutes. Um, you know, and speaking, listening, you know, repeating, that sort of thing. Um, you know, but it's up to you. But understand, the more languages you put on your belt to learn at the same time, the slower your learning um, will be just because you're trying to juggle more than one language, more than one grammar style, more than one vocabulary list, um, you know. And that's a lot, you know. But if you're willing to find the people to speak to from day one, if you're willing to find the material that's necessary for you to be able to achieve your goal, whether it's on the Internet, the library, textbooks, I'm like Ollie Richards. I would get a textbook or two, maybe an Ossimil, a Teach Yourself, or Colloquial Rutledge, and I would go through it quickly. And get the basics down. Then I would start speaking right away and using that information. So I can I can get to my goal, which is to be able to speak. If you want to read and that's all you want to do, then find books that's, you know, great at readers. Like I'll use Ollie Richards' um, short stories in German, Spanish, Italian, Russian, French, English. Um, as the go-between for the intermediate person that is beyond the basics, but not to the level where they can read Tolstoy yet. And, you know, it's the most frequent thousand words. It's easy for you to be able to comprehend. They're adult stories. They're not children's stories. So, you know, they come in paperback. They come in ebook. They come in audio. 
And if you can get the ebook and audio or the paperback and audio and listen and read at the same time, that's even better. If you're someone that has a braille display and you want to hook it up and read and braille the book in those particular languages and have the audio going in the background, that's even better. You know, the more consistent you are with your learning process, the more success you will happen to achieve down the road with your language or languages. Um, but I wouldn't do more than two. At the same time, I would choose different language families at the same time. And I would enjoy the process. And I wouldn't make it a chore. Because it's not. It's a process. You want to be able to speak, understand, and read what it is that you want to learn. You want to learn Japanese? You want to watch anime? You want to watch movies? Then make that your aim. Make that the reason for why you really want to learn this language. You know, you want to be able to speak with people, order food at a, Chinese, at a Japanese restaurant. You know, make friends, find love. These are the things that are going to help you succeed within the learning process of learning more than one language. Now, if you are a veteran of learning more than one language uh, at the same time, that's wonderful. I would love for you to share your tips and tricks as to how you did it with me. That would be great. Um, you can contact me on Facebook. It's the Messenger, Chanel Patrice Hancock, C-H-E-N-E-L-L-E. P-A-T-R-I-C-H-A-N-C-L-C-K or Chanel's Language Learning Journey Podcast on Anchor.fm C-H-E-N-E-L-L-E apostrophe S Language Learning Journey Podcast dot Anchor.fm and just leave me a message and let me know. I would love to hear from you guys. You know, I do this podcast for you guys to um, inform you guys about my process, how I do things, how my friends in the polyglot community you know does things because everyone learns differently and that is crucial do not assume that you have to compete with me or ollie or luca lampriello or vladimir scoltani any of these people to be able to be an effective language learner you are exceptionally gifted in your own right and you learn at your own pace and I have come to understand that I work on my own time frame, no one else's time frame. And you have to do that too. You have to find why you really love it. And if these two languages are something that you're passionate about, go for it. The sky's the limit. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts on Google Play, Spotify, Audiocast, Breaker, Audio Public. I would love to hear from you guys. Give me a rating to let me know. Give me a review. It helps everybody else find me. And I hope to see you guys in the next episode. And remember, language learning is a journey, not a race. Enjoy the pro process, and I'll see you in the next episode. Take care.
Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad we finally got this thing to work. I've never used this app before. Yeah, this app is a piece of work. I, <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I've had so many people where I've had to say, you might want to go. Yeah, I just uh, didn't have time to, to look it up on YouTube. I thought it would just be self-evident. Anyway, here we are. So uh, we're not recording yet, right? Yes, we are. Okay. As soon as you oh, yeah. But that's okay because I do everything in real time. So my I have like 1.6K listeners and I've let them know I suck at editing. So everything I do is in real time. Okay. So what they see is what or what they listen to is what they get pretty much. Okay. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, You're welcome. Language Learning Journey podcast where amazing things happen, including technology glitches. <laughs> All right. So what would you like to know about language learning? Um, well, I've been a part of the community um, come four years now, um, come this summer, and I have been interviewing people from like Vladimir Scaltetti to Kirsten and Shannon Kennedy and Lindsay Williams and Ollie Richards. And I said, um, you know, I would love to hear your story because I, I heard you in episode 127 of Chris Bohol's Actual Fluency yeah. um, episode recently um, when he started his season last summer. And I said, you know what? I remember seeing her on YouTube speaking like Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese and Russian and, mm -hmm. and French and Italian and whatnot. And I said, I want to interview her because I learn, I'm, I'm visually impaired, so I learn auditorily. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, I learned by music myself. And mm -hmm. I said, this would be an interesting way for my um, students who I have online to learn about languages from a different perspective. I mean, because evidently you have people that are visual learners, you have people that are auditory and kinesthetic, but to actually learn a language from, you know, watching television or listening to music or podcasts. You know, a lot of people talk about using those as, you know, tools for overall language learning, but, you know, for someone to actually use those methods to you know, as one of their main tools to learn languages, you know, I, I find that to be fascinating. Anytime someone can do something different in the world of language learning, I'm, I'm willing to interview them. So good. Good. Well, I'm going to have some questions for you too. So uh, cool. I don't know what, maybe you should start first. This is your podcast. Um, well, I am 41 years old. I'm African-American. I'm visually impaired. I have what's called retinopathy of prematurity. So 41 years ago, I was born uh, one pound, 13 ounces. Wow. Um, and I had to stay in an incubator for like five months until I gained five pounds. And so my mom was a teenage mom, 16 going on 17, with a seventh grade education, mind you. And, you know, they didn't know I was blind until I was like one-ish, two-ish, something of that nature. So she went and was able to save the sight in my left eye, which is my good eye, and I have none in my right eye. So 
um, I learned print at age of four, so I learned how to read print, large print at four. I didn't learn Braille until I was eight. But if you have any vision whatsoever, um, they want you to use it. So I wasn't allowed to use Braille. I wrote everything longhand, and I used audio the entire time, mm-hmm. all through school. That even included college, film school, so forth and so on. It wasn't until I was about 35 when the state of Ohio got me a 12-cell Braille display, which you only can read maybe a newspaper article, maybe an email. So uh, my doctor informed my family I would never be able to read print again. My vision, readable vision, declined. Um, I still see the bigger picture, so I can still see people and things clearly. I just can't see further than three feet in front of me, distance-wise, and I can't read newspaper font. But I can read the headline of a newspaper. Mm-hmm. So because that print's big enough for me to read. Or I can see, like, the McDonald's sign. I can tell you what that looks like. But it's it's all the smaller detail. So reading subtitles on in a movie would be an impossible task. Mm-hmm. Um, with the advent of voiceover and now that voiceover can read subtitles on the screen I'm in I'm in language heaven so I'm able to put the subtitles in whatever languages for that particular movie put it if they don't have you know the, the actual the actual um language and audio I put it subtitles and have voiceover read it to me so I still get something out of it so how do you do that because do you have the original audio on of the film as the same time you have the voiceovers you're hearing mm-hmm. both at the same time yes so like is if that it's hard in, if it's in english then i just put french subtitles and it reads it louder in french subtitles than you hear the english so half the time if it doesn't have a French audio track, but it has the actual subtitles. I'm able to have voiceover on my Apple TV read it to me. And it's turned up loud enough for me to be able to, you know, the voiceover overpowers the actual sound that's coming out of the television from the dialogue that's being spoken in English. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to block that out. Mm-hmm. Um, like I can watch a whole entire episode of Star Trek, the 2009 movie, for example, and like, Norwegian subtitles, even though there's no Norwegian, you know, but it's, voiceover is able to read it because it's text to speech. So anything that comes on the screen, voiceover will read it, mm-hmm. as long as you set the subtitles to that particular. And what's so cool is that I have a Braille display that's 40 cells, which is half a page of print. And I'm able to pair that with my Apple devices. That includes my Apple TV. And I'm able to read in that particular language the subtitles from my display in that Braille code, in that particular language. So if it's Norwegian subtitles, I have Norwegian Braille going at the same time. So I'm able to get audio and tactile at the same time. Hmm. So that's my version of reading and writing from a audio and kinesthetic uh, standpoint, not so much visual. I mean, because honestly... The whole purpose of learning a language is to verbally communicate with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I mean, I can I can learn the alphabet and I can type it out on the keyboard and stuff like that if I have my Bluetooth keyboard. But um, I pretty much um, everything's audio. So, I mean, I think that's one of my pet peeves is because we live in the U.S., there are certain languages that are more popular that you can get information in audio-wise than others. So Spanish is one of them. Of course, I speak Spanish fluently. But it's my love-hate language because I learned it at university. Uh, it's my third language, but it's my first foreign language. Um, English is my first. American Sign Language was my second. Um, I learned that at five and became fluent because a friend of mine was taking sign language. And so she thought, oh, well, why don't I teach you this and we can communicate? Well, it benefited me in some way because I was going to a school where there was deaf people, too. So I was able to communicate. But once I got to like third, fourth, fifth grade, I no longer communicated with the deaf kids anymore because I was switched to another class. And so, therefore, I lost some of it. So I kind of equivocate that amount of knowledge is I learned it when I was little, but I forgot a lot of it. So I would put it like an A1, um, pretty much in regards to um, knowing um, sign language. I mean, I can have a basic conversation with someone if I needed to, you know, and if they ask them, do they need any help or whatever the case is. I do a lot of mm -hmm. more finger spelling than I do actual signing. Because I also worked with special needs um, kids who had verbal communication problems and that was the only way they were able to communicate was through sign. And I did a lot of it through hand and um, signing, so forth. And then I fast forward, I had no language of any kind other than English all the way through high school. I went to Cuyahoga Community College, Tracy in Cleveland at 23, took Spanish for four semesters, got nothing under a B, and learned it the hard way, by ear. Had a textbook, had the CDs to go with it, the workbook, three professors, two tutors, and 12 and a half hours a week of nothing but Spanish pouring into my ear. And because I didn't live on the west side, of Cleveland, I lived on the east side in the suburbs. I wasn't around a lot of Latino Americana um, personales que en um, hable el español idiomas. I literally um, used music as my way to learn more Spanish. And How did you learn grammar? Huh? How did you learn grammar? Was it all just through memorization of what you mm -hmm. heard through yes. the audio, through the book? Mm. Um, Actually, the teacher, I just literally, like, did it visually in my head. So, you know, when you have to go to um, uh, ustedes, eres, el, ella, ellos, ellas, nosotros, vosotros, all those. I learned the grammar so quickly. And because I had my Spanish class, my first one was in the morning. And then... The next semester was in the afternoon, and then it kept being in the afternoon. So when I came out, 
I could actually translate the written word from English to Spanish. I was able to correct people's pronunciation, their grammar, how they said things, because it was, you know, they were saying it incorrectly. I would listen to Telemundo, El Coto de Pueblo, um, con um, Weiss, um, Senor um, Manuel Franco. They had this show on Telemundo, and I would watch it, and had this black guy as a bailiff named Michael, and he had a Spanish book in his hand, and the, the judge was like half half American, half Mexican. But, you know, he spoke Spanish the entire time. And I can understand, like, a lot of what was going on. I would watch telenovelas. I enjoyed the cultural aspect of Spanish. Not so much speaking it. Because I wanted to learn el rus idiomas y el francois idiomas. Not so much Spanish. Um, And I wanted to learn that for a very long time, since I was like 13. But Spanish was pushed on me since I was like in the seventh grade. So I found elements of it that I enjoyed, like the dancing, the food, the culture, the people, and the music. And that's what I gravitated to, more so than me actually speaking it. Because I, I still listen to the same artists, even today, Shakira, Ricky Martin, Santana, Enrique Iglesias, Christina Aguilera, Jennifer Lopez. I still listen to these people today. Um, you know, I didn't realize I had become fluent at speaking it. And um, it wasn't until I had a conversation with someone from Colombia on WhatsApp, and they were like, do you realize you're fluent? No. <laughs> I even lived in California for three years in, uh, in LA and San Bernardino and Orange, California and San Bernardino. And I tried to speak Spanish and I had a lot of negative uh, reactions because they wanted to speak English or they didn't speak English at all. And so their kids were interpreting for them. So, you know, when you're asking simple things, you know, directions to somewhere or whatever, it, it was very a demotivating experience, even though I lived with a, a Mexicano familia, para um, Diaz, um, uh, 10 months so I learned more I I heard it all the time but I just never spoke it they spoke English with me and not Spanish but my comprehension became like crazy because that's all I heard them speak all day to each other and um, but I I just I shut the Spanish off because my dream was to learn French and Russian mm-hmm. so it- what were the questions you had for me about uh, language learning through music and the media? Okay. Uh, well, my, okay. For my listeners, because they don't know who you are. Could you tell about your, how you started with languages all together? And then I'll segue in that. Sure. So my name is Susanna Zarayski and I'm the author of the book, Language is Music which is about how to learn foreign languages using music and uh, TV and radio and movies. And I started learning languages quite early. I mean, I came, I was born in the former Soviet Union and I came to the U.S. when I was three. And then I started uh, with French when I was 11 in, in junior high school. And then I was a foreign exchange student in France for about two months and I came back and I was speaking fluently and, uh, with an almost perfect accent or sometimes perfect accent. 
And so I knew that there was something about the way I was learning languages that was different than the way other people learn languages, but I didn't know what it was. Uh, and then I studied Spanish um, in high school and I advanced very quickly and I was already in a, a literature class as soon as I started in college. And then um, I studied Italian in college and I skipped, I just took one semester of the grammar class and I taught myself the rest of the book. And then second semester, I was already in the literature class. Mm -hmm. And so people ask me a lot, you know, what, what is it that you do? Cause you speak so well. And I was like, I, I don't know. Uh, and then I read a book by Oliver Sacks, who's a very famous British neurologist called Musicophilia. And it's about how music activates the brain and how some of his patients reacted to music. And he talked about patients who had a stroke and who couldn't talk, but they could sing mm -hmm. words, they could, they could play instruments. And he talked about how music activates more parts of the brain than spoken or written language does. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what got me thinking about, wow, it's possible, actually it's not possible, I think it is that the way I was learning languages was by listening a lot not only to songs in, in foreign languages, but also to the musicality of other languages. So I would listen to how people spoke because there's a prosody, which is, you know, the, it's kind of like the musicality of the way people speak. Mm -hmm. Pick up on that. And that's what gave me a good pronunciation and a good accent. Because instead of speaking like a gringo in, in Spanish, I would speak like a native speaker. So I wouldn't have um, the melody of English when I spoke in Spanish. But by listening to foreign languages in, sorry, by listening to foreign language music, I was also picking up on vocabulary in other languages very quickly. And I was reinforcing grammatical patterns that I had studied. So um, if I was listening to something in the preterite in Spanish or the basse composé in French or whatever, it would, I would just remember what the conjugations were. And it would be easier to remember because my brain was more activated by the song than it mm -hmm. would have been if I had just been reading the lyrics. And so I also realized that sometimes when I couldn't remember a word, I would actually like remember a verse from a song and I would like hear the verse in my head and then, mm -hmm. I, then I would remember the word. So then I, I wrote this book, Language is Music. Uh, I published that over nine years ago and now it's available in Spanish, Portuguese and Russian. And I speak... English, obviously, Russian, French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, and I also speak Serbo-Croatian or Bosnian and Ladino, but my I'm kind of at an intermediate level because I, I speak them very rarely, so mm -hmm. I, I can be very rusty. So ask me your questions. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um why why the majority be romance languages you know that's just how it started um but i also studied three other languages which aren't romance languages i studied hebrew arabic and hungarian and i i didn't uh, take them beyond a very basic level and arabic mm -hmm. i only studied for a few weeks unfortunately i got sick in the class and i just didn't continue right and i used to be able to at least read arabic letters and now I mean, this was a long time ago that I studied it. So now I can only recognize certain letters. Right. Um, well, Spanish was easy because I grew up in California. So it was an right. obvious one to learn. And French, I, I had a personal interest in France. 
And then Italian, I just like the way it sounded and Portuguese. I actually don't even remember why I started learning Portuguese, but I did. Um, and then Serbo-Croatian because I lived in Bosnia and um, mm -hmm. I had to communicate when I lived there, but I haven't lived there for many years. So uh, that's one of the reasons it's rusty. Okay. I actually right now am returning to study Greek. I started it a year and a half ago and uh, I'm going back to it. And one of the issues I have with Greek is that, um, so because I have a visual disability, I, mm -hmm. I always do it one eye at a time. Uh, I sometimes have trouble reading because sometimes letters move around a bit. It doesn't happen often, but it happens. Right. And what I find with Greek, which is hard for me, is that when I'm reading it, I'm confusing the letters between the Latin alphabet and the Cyrillic alphabet and the Greek alphabet. Right. And I found only very beginning materials that are all transliterated into Latin text. That means that the Greek words are written with Latin text, the same alphabet that we use for English. Right. And the reason that's helpful to me is that that way I don't get confused between the three alphabets. And right. I contacted many institutions asking if they had resources for people with visual disabilities to learn Greek. I said, you know, for example, if somebody has a dyslexia, they're going to mix up the letters in any language that they read. So I was curious, you know, there have to be people who've had dyslexia who wanted to learn Greek. So I contacted the Greek embassy in Washington, D.C., the Greek consulate in San Francisco, the archdiocese of the Greek uh, Orthodox Church in, in, Cal in the United States. Nobody responded. Um, I contacted a university in Athens that has a program to teach Greek to foreigners. They responded that they had no materials. Hmm. So a year and a half ago, I was in Greece and uh, I was there for work and I, I had about a week off for vacation and I found a teacher, a Greek teacher who spoke Italian and I speak Italian. So she was teaching me Greek in Italian and she would write out the letters in Latin letters um, because I explained to her my situation um, so I could continue working with her, you know, through Skype. But it it really bothers me, actually, that there aren't resources out there that would be easy for people to use because I've never learned grammar only by, li by listening. I've, I've always had to read a grammar book, you know, or, right. you know, conjugation tables. So I even called, contacted um, this place in San Francisco called Lighthouse Center for the Blind. I asked them what to do and they gave me a totally inane answer. They said, oh, listen to audiobooks in Greek. And I said, if I can't speak any Greek, an audiobook in Greek is not going to help me. It's going to help me with the pronunciation so I get used to the sounds, but it's not going to help me learn the language. <laughs> so uh, wow. I hope as I, you know, learn things, you know, I might be able to, I'll, I'll be able to share with other people, like what I've been able to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as probably you, Chanel, you probably, uh, okay, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I prefer not to become the poster child for how to do something in an innovative way. I would prefer that that innovative way already exists so that I right. could just follow it. Oh, trust me. When I was trying to learn the Russian alphabet and mm -hmm. I sat there and said, is there anybody that has the Russian Braille code? It took someone from a Jewish library for the blind in New York City to send me a braille copy, which I still have, of the Russian alphabet in order for me to be able to know what a tactile version of it was so I would be able to read and write in Russian braille. 
Nobody, and I mean no one, had nothing. I called everywhere. Mm. I was so frustrated. And that is one of the, well, the good thing is, is now that I have a 40-cell Braille display that can read in different Braille codes, Russian is one of them. Thank God. But you have to have the actual physical written text in that language. Mm-hmm. So I have to have, if th- there is Greek Braille, um, actually, if you want, I could call the NFB headquarters down in Baltimore, Maryland, and see if there's anything that might be um, available for Greek. I don't know. I could find out. When you were telling me this, <laughs> you know, I used to be a president of uh, one of the NFB chapters here in um, Ohio, and so um, I do have some pull. I could I could find out if there's any way that there is something out there. That would be great. I mean, I don't read Braille, uh, but right. I, I would be really curious to know what they have. Thank you for that offer. Yeah. I was actually at the National Federation for the Blind on Halloween of last year. I was in, I was in Baltimore for a conference about accessibility and technology. Right. Accessibility. And we, had a, we had a tour of the National Federation for the Blind, and it was fascinating to see all of the different machines that they had, like a um, electoral um, polling booth where you read everything in Braille and the big printers that they had. And I asked one of the people who worked there who's blind and who's interested in languages, I asked him what he does. And he said, well, I, I just have to listen to audio recordings of grammar books. I was like, really? That That's it? And then that's how he, you know, he studied different languages. And it, you know, it could be Chanel too, that because I didn't grow up blind, I'm used to learning by reading, you know, by reading uh, grammar books. Obviously, right. I pick up a lot of conversation because I'm very, uh, I'm very sensitive to sound. Right. But my brain just has never had to learn grammar by listening. And I don't know how keen I will be to learn in a totally different way now as an adult you know it could be easier for you to do it because this is just the way you've had to learn oh trust me i've i've been a print reader up until i was about 29 oh yeah okay so i i I know what print looks like i've had to read it up until i was 29 i could read large print and i mean like i had to carry these books around i mean they were huge and read them Mm -hmm. you know so I didn't learn text-to-speech until I was in my 20s. Um, mm. I didn't have a choice. I mean, I, I had, like, you know, the, the cassette players from the library for the blind and, and disabled. And I would sit and listen to audiobooks all the time. Like, I, I could sit there and listen to books for days on end. Now, I I just, I'll buy the ebook and I'll have voiceover read it to me in whatever language, you know, I buy it in. Mm-hmm. So, like, I have a lot of Russian books and, and Russian audio. Even though I have to download Russian audio book apps and I have to buy the book through the app, <laughs> I still have to, um, you know, I'm able to listen. Um, and thank God for the language learning community because there are a lot of people that were able to share their books with me, their ebooks, and send me their ebooks. Like, 
I have like Harry Potter, you name the language, I probably have it. Um, and I have Game of Thrones and Hunger Games and, um, yeah, right now I'm learning French and Turkish and Italian. And my passive knowledge in Italian and French is very high because of the Spanish. And so, um, right now I'm probably speaking French at an A2, um, even though a previous guest wants me to do an entire interview with her in French eventually <laughs> but um yeah i have to say that that is the biggest nightmare um when you have a visual disability whether it's dyslexia whether you're visually impaired and you can read large print um there's some people that are visually impaired and they can still drive the only thing is their vision might be impaired at night so their license might be restricted to the daytime but they mm -hmm. can still drive. Um, there are people that they read large print still. So they can read 14 font or 18 font or whatever. Um, me, if I were to read something, it would have to be 48 font, 36 font, somewhere like that in order for me to read it. But because I am not permitted to read print anymore because of my visual acuity being three feet in front of me counting fingers, um, out of my left eye. Um, I don't do that as much. I mean, it's not really a bit... Bono, hush! Sorry. My guide dog is lying. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, that is one of my pet peeves. I have to pick languages where I know I can get access to something on the internet for little or nothing. Um, I've been using, like, Michelle Thomas. Um, some Pimsleur, but it's too slow, so I stopped using it. Um, I'm using Mango Languages now to do French, Italian, and Turkish. Um, I use YouTube. YouTube's my friend. Um, I use Prince 24 to watch the news in French. Um, when I start learning Arabic in 2020, I'm going to do the same thing because they got Arabic, sir. Um, so... Yeah, I, I learn everything by ear. My whole aim for me is to be able to speak and have great conversations with people about things that I'm interested in. So whatever it is that I like doing in English, I use the same method um, and the same interest for whatever language I'm learning. So since I studied cinema in college and theater, I learned the vocabulary for that. I learned it for sports and, and cooking and traveling and whatever. Um, all by ear. Um, that helps with my pronunciation, my accent in certain languages. Um, you know, because everyone says, oh, you have really good pronunciation, but especially when I speak Russian. And I'm like, yes, but my Russian, <laughs> my grammar is a work in progress and I've been studying it for 45 months. So, um, but I do find that it's very hard when you're studying something like Greek. Now, are you going to study, are you studying modern Greek or Koine Greek? Oh, no, no, modern Greek, modern Greek, so I can communicate with living human beings. Because I know that Jonathan Nuggles is studying Koine and modern. Um, he hosts the Mesopantic Guild um, mm -hmm. podcast, yeah. 
So I'm going to be interviewing him next month. Um, and that I could actually say it's very hard if you have a visual disability to find materials. I mean, you literally have to call all over. To, and it is. Actually, you might want to take a page from Ollie Richards. He was doing Cantonese. And there was no hardly no materials out there. He created his own. Mm-hmm. Because he knew what he wanted to achieve. You know, like what he what his goals were in regards yeah. to learning the language. And so, um, I mean, I know that's a lot of work. But if you can't find anything, my advice, create your own. Yeah, but as I said earlier, I... Uh... I don't feel like being the poster child for innovation right now. Uh, so I'll, I'll see. I'll see how it goes. You know, once I get past this beginner level where I have all these materials transliterated, you know, whether I feel more comfortable with the alphabet later on. Uh, because like when I'm in Greece, I can I can read the signs in Greek. Mm-hmm. And because they're written in print. Right. Uh, they're very clearly written. Uh, but, you know, if you're just to give me a newspaper, oh my gosh, I think that would just be overwhelming for me to. to I was going to so say, is there like an app that's in Greek that, like, an, I know that there's apps for newspapers all over the world. There has to be one for Greek. Uh, yeah, of course there are, but I don't see why you're, you're asking me that. Are you talking about doing a voiceover to listen to the newspaper through voiceover? Right. Like if you wanted to, if you wanted to get some, you know, you wanted to increase your vocabulary. I mean, even I, I know for me, I do this, even though I don't understand a certain language completely, I will start listening to stuff that might be a little higher than my knowledge level, just so I can get used to how it sounds. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you do that or not. Oh. Yes, of course. I mean, that's actually one of the things I, I wrote about in my book about how to train your ears to the range of frequencies, the range of sounds of another language. Like I started learning Portuguese by listening to Portuguese radio, and I didn't understand everything at the beginning um, because I was, I, was such, I was still a beginner learning Portuguese. Right. But the way I learned the Portuguese accent is because I was listening to the radio. And that's why I speak uh, well, my, my accent in Portuguese is a mix of Brazilian and uh, continental European Portuguese. But mm-hmm. the reason that is, is because I had a lot of exposure early on to European Portuguese through an immigrant radio station of immigrants from the Azores Islands in Portugal. So the thing with Greek, actually, I don't have an issue with the pronunciation because I used to live in a Greek neighborhood when I lived in New York. And I find the pronunciation of Greek actually quite easy. There's, I mean, there's one letter, the 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 g sound which Mm -hmm. is different but um yeah for me it's not the pronunciation now it's just i it's just the the time that i need to actually sit and you know do my studies but i really like the sound of the language and that's actually what drew me in and it's funny because i was in greece when the banks uh closed in at the end of june the beginning of july of 2015 Mm -hmm. and you know you saw in the media, you heard and you saw reports of, or you read reports of people queuing up in front of the banks, especially pensioners who were trying to get up to their 60 euros a day or whatever they were allowed to get out of the banks. And I remember being at a bus stop, waiting for the bus, and I saw a few people in front of a, 
in front of the, the bank, you know, waiting to get their money. And I had this thought, I want to learn Greek. And I thought to myself at the time, are you crazy? You're in a country which is literally bankrupt. The banks are closed. People are lining up to get their money. And, all, and you're thinking, yeah, you want to learn Greek. So I just thought, you know, I was crazy. And I didn't do anything about it. But then I just kept on having, having this thought in my mind, you know, mm -hmm. after the banks opened, I was back in the U.S. I want to learn Greek. I want to learn Greek. And then when I heard the Greek language spoken, I really liked it. So I thought, okay, that might have been a moment of folly as I was at the bus station in Greece. But no, I, I, I want to learn this language. It's, it's a sincere desire I have. You know, it's funny you say this because I'm married to Russian and French. Mm-hmm. Like, there is no divorce. There is no alimony payment. I'm 100% <laughs> married to these languages. And, I mean, I have so many friends from Russia and Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and Turkmenistan and Ukraine that they're like, you need to come over here. I'm like, yes, I want to once I get a passport. Because uh, I love all things Russian, like literally. I I was talking to someone recently. I was helping them with their English online, and they're from Toronto. Well, they live in Toronto, but they're from Russia originally. And we were talking, and I said, well, what helped me was listening to President Putin's marathon um, state-to-state, you know, television. He just had one Thursday, which I got to go re-listen to the only criticism i have is i did not like the shirt he would wear <laughs> but but i love his voice so and he speaks very good russian so i so i'll sit and listen to whatever he's saying on you know to get my political you know vocabulary and check and and i i actually had RT channel on my when I had cable for a whole year I did nothing but listen to that one channel and I mean every day from 6 a.m. to 12 midnight nothing but Russian and it got to the point where I could actually understand what was being what was going on and my favorite part about the whole experience was it was effortless mm -hmm. I didn't have a grammar book I didn't nothing mm -hmm. and i i just i mean grammar books are great but i kind of like learning through context mm -hmm. so i like getting a book and and listening to it like by Nari near for example and i that i like more peace better than anna karina mm. um even though people think i'm crazy oh you actually like that book you actually read that book uh i watched the whole bbc marathon that they had the 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 miniseries last year that they came out with the War and Peace. Mm -hmm. All day Friday, I did nothing but sit and watch it. And I just was hooked. And then I went back and listened to 73 hours of nothing but binary mayor in Russian. And he, um, someone said, have you lost your mind? <laughs> and I said, no. I was like, why do you guys hate your own literature? I mean, you have some of the greatest writers in the world. You know, and I'm a big history buff, so that you know, I was big on the Revolutia, of you know, Rossi, and how it all came about, and the Mongols, and the hordes, and the czars, and now like 
people are flipping out that I keep telling them about their own history. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, y'all's is a hell of a lot better than ours. <laughs> as much as I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, you know, I, I, that was what got me really hooked into the polyglot world was that when I started learning Russian, the Russians really welcomed me with open arms into their community. And, um, cause I got a lot of flack from a lot of Latinos. Uh, why don't I speak your language as good as I speak? If I can learn your language, which means English, then why can't you learn mine to the same amount of, you know, proficiency? And I said, because A, I don't want to, B, I don't have to, and C, I like certain parts of you guys' culture better than I do speaking Spanish. But I just felt that a lot, I got a lot of flack and a lot of negativity. And so that deterred me tremendously from speaking it. It wasn't until 11 months ago I started speaking it for the first time. So, in Spanish. So, yeah, I, my whole uh, goal, pretty much, is to have people come on my show, talk about their experiences, uh, because everyone's experience at learning languages, you know, people talk about the success stories of how they learn languages, but people don't talk about what they have to go through to actually learn a language, or like I interviewed Robin McPherson last weekend, and I enjoyed his, his YouTube videos because of you know, he was so real and honest about what he was going through, you know, overall. Not just with his language learning, but his life in general. And it just, it, it gave a human, a more human and deep connection to what it means to be a polyglot or a linguist or a language learner. Um, you know, because a lot of these people, they, they're successful. But no one's talking about how what trials and tribulations they went along the way to get to where they are, you know? And so I, I find that to be like, you know, very, very um, heartwarming and to me fulfilling as someone that mm-hmm. enjoys, you know, that's the other reason I, you know, I want to, Yahachu rebuilt it, budget on not, um, Ruskum Yezik e Franciscum Yezik, the organization abided Nanaya Nazia Vot New York, Gorda Vot Shesha Eclipsnay. But the Musa Yalu Blue Gavavila now Ruskum Yezik origin. But that's my long-term goal mm-hmm. um, for me personally. And I guess, you know, now I have 1.6 K listeners. I've only been out since May. You know, my dream was to have my own podcast and start my own podcast to help people um, see language learning in a totally different light. I mean, cause I, I listen to a lot of different people's podcasts and some of it's different and some of it's not, you know, in regards to information. Well, you know, I, oh, sorry. Go mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you know, I, I think you're right in that he, 
even though you, you you know you're talking about when you're listening to War and Peace and watching Putin for his four hour marathon talk that you know it was effortless that you were you were just able to understand and and it was beautiful, and those are the moments that are usually like advertised. You know, it's yesterday actually a friend of mine said, oh, you know, in the on the radio I hear about this app for language learning how it's advertised and they make it look like it's so easy and I'm like, yeah, it's it's an it's a paid radio announcer or actor who's doing the, the the spiel you know for whatever app it is or software program it's not actually a language learner because a language learner if you really get down to it you're going to learn about the, the things that are difficult it's not all ponies and rainbows or you know whatever that expression is about making everything easy and i think it's important you know for you especially since you have a visual disability to talk about what you're going through because you might inspire other people who are visually impaired who thought that they couldn't learn a language and don't know what what you know is coming their way and if you can warn people like this is what i did this was difficult i found this other alternative that worked out better you know you're not only you're not only expressing yourself like through like as a catharsis for yourself but you're just also helping other people right yep and you know it's funny because in a lot of ways like i'm right now I'm the only one out here that's visually impaired mm-hmm. that has their, I mean, there are people that are visually impaired and then there are people that are completely blind and they put me to shame when it comes down to podcasting and, and they have their own radio shows and, you know, because they're more on the music side of things, you know, they like to do the, the disc jockey side of things on the internet and, um, you know, they have their radio shows and, and whatnot. And so, and I said, I think that's great because they're more technology inclined. Like they can take a computer apart, put it back together. They know how to use voiceover and JAWS and NVDA. And I'm like, my brain doesn't work like that. I, I'm more artistic. I'm more, I studied theater in college. I studied film at film school. I have my certification to teach English as a foreign language to business people and young learners. Um, you know, I teach people online and as a community tutor, uh, so forth and so on. I mean, I haven't even come up with a method yet. You know, because someone asked me, how do I learn? And I, like, by ear. <laughs> you know, I, I sit and I listen. And there are days when I actually do fall asleep. You know, and I find that early in the morning or late at night is the best time for me to learn anything because it's completely silent and I live in an apartment building. So you know how that is. If, if you have a lot of people around moving, mm-hmm. closing doors, you know, you don't really have as much concentration time when there's silence. So I, I, I like it that way. And I can go for long stretches, like two to three hours. Like I did two hours of listening to the news in French this morning before I, I got on with you this afternoon. That was my language learning for today. Um, so, uh, but I mean, I knew nothing and literally three years ago about polyglot, nothing. I knew who was who, where to find information. It was a nightmare. And I, I do think a lot of people who have, you know, helped me along the way. Um, but a lot of it was me looking on the internet, me calling places. 
and then saying, well, you know, they will eventually come out with Harry Potter in Russian, whether it's ebook, which I have all the ebooks, um, or audio. And that, that is the problem. Now they have it in ebook. They don't have it in audio. Um, I've had, people over in Russia have had to send me MP3 recordings of Harry Potter because in Russian, because you can't find it anywhere. So that, I mean, there are certain languages that I've had to get other people that have the files, send them to me because that is one of the main problems. People, like, I remember I was interviewing Chris Broholm like two months ago. And he said, well, you live in the U.S. You should be able to have access to everything. And I said, what? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. It's not that easy. You know, you, you bring up a good point about uh, how your language learning is much more effective when it's quiet. And generally for people who have visual impairments, just you know, in, in my non-scientific sample sample size of the people I've spoken to, it's quite common that we are very sensitive to noise and sound because we're using our audio, our, our auditory cortex probably more so than people who don't have a visual impairment because we're relying on auditory clues to understand where we are in space and what's going on. And as a result, we're much more sensitive to, to sound. And I find I'm, you know, there are other factors that also are part of that. Like if you're an extrovert, it might not be as bothersome to you to be around a lot of noise, but if you're an introvert and you're highly sensitive and you have a visual impairment, then it's like hell on earth to be in a place that's really loud and you can't get anything done. And sometimes it's hard for me, you know, I, when I try to explain to people like I need to leave because it's too loud, they don't get it because they don't have that same right. sensitivity to sound or where some people they can work in a noisy cafe and, you know, study whatever I couldn't do it. So I totally get what you're saying where you, in order to listen to your two hours of French news or, listening to Vladimir Putin for four hours, you have to choose a time when you know your neighbors aren't going to be making a bunch of noise and not everyone's going to turn on their water. So you're not going to hear the water pipes at the same time. Those are important details to, to consider for sure. I mean, I'm up at five in the morning because I have a yellow Labrador hmm. um, guide dog and I'm up with him to feed him, take him out, and as I'm doing it, and I'm making my coffee, God forbid I don't have that, um, I have the news going on in my head, you know, and in my ear, and you know, I had the the pleasure to interview Slovak polyglot, extraordinaire um, Vladimir Skolpetti, back in October, and he asked me this question, he said, well, how do you how do you learn like Chinese Braille? And I was like, I haven't learned Chinese yet. <laughs> um, and I don't know if I want to, um, to be honest. I mean, uh, we have a large population here in Akron um, of, of Chinese speaking people, but I really don't know if that's a language I really want to learn. I mean, I, I have to have a, a real valid reason for learning something like, Right now, I'm into Turkish. 
Mm-hmm. And that's because I'm a history buff. So I wanted to know more about the Ottoman Empire. I knew, okay, I might not go to Istanbul. Okay, fine. Technically, these days, you don't need to go to Istanbul. You can, I, I mean, I, I found people to speak Turkish with online already. And so, you know, I'm, I'm using the speak from day one approach um, of speaking, learning your basic phrases and util- utilizing them right away. And um, so, you know, I'm actually done with chapter two of Mango, going into chapter three, unit one of um, next week. And I do a little bit from each from each chapter every single day and then I go back and revisit the same stuff just so I remember that I remember this and how this sound and what the, you know and um you know I'm able to interpret from what little I know um in my head and I mean I've gotten to the point now where I'm connecting with the language so even when I'm not practicing it it's in my head like a word to come up in Turkish and I'll hear myself actually voicing it out loud in Turkish mm-hmm. without even like having to think about it. So, you know, I was like, this language is going to stick. Um, I did six weeks of Brazilian Portuguese and my motivation was really bad. Actually, I wanted to speak with um, Lucas Bigetti of Language Biz by Christmas. Christmas is Tuesday. Didn't happen. Um, after six weeks, I said no, because it, my Spanish and my Italian kept bleeding into Portuguese. And I just said, no, I tried it for six weeks. I really don't like this. I, I, I don't have anyone to speak it to in the town that I'm in. So I'm going to stop, even though I made some really cool friends. Um, but yeah, I... I said I'll stick with the Italian and the French and the Spanish that I know and let those romance languages be the ones that I I learn you know and a lot of it's because of cinematic reasons I like um, French cinema and French cuisine and French fashion and the same goes for Italian too so that's another reason I wanted to learn both of those for that reason and for the French it was the history and the literature as well and so, um, but eventually I plan on learning Egyptian, Arabic, and Japanese. And I have like 26% West African in my bloodline. So I plan on learning Swahili at some point. And then I said I'm, I'm having a cutoff point. Because I need to maintain all this once I, I get to a certain, a certain level in each of these. Because oh, you've got a lot of ambitious plans. Uh, yeah, it, but it's funny because, like, I'm someone that could probably learn about three languages at one time um, and not get them mixed up in my head, um, mainly because I try to focus on and put my brain in that space. And some people have difficulties doing that. Like, they, they really do have headaches after speaking two hours of Spanish. And I did that, and I didn't realize I was fluent in Spanish until I actually did that. I spoke with someone for two hours in Spanish, and I really forced myself to break that that plateau wall, and I did. I mean, there were words I forgot, of course, but I was able to substitute other words for the words I couldn't remember off the top of my head. And I knew I was fluent when 
I didn't have to break into English that much. And I do the same thing for Russian, too. I don't, any language I'm learning, I try to keep my brain into that language. Because, you know, I, I, yeah. I mean, I knew my Russian was good when I could speak to someone that didn't speak a look at English. They only knew Russian for two hours and make them laugh. Good. And I did. I have to warn you. Um, I need to go soon. It's already it's already noon, so okay. we've been on for about almost an hour. I wanted to know: Are there any other questions that you had for me? Um, yeah, two more. Um, okay. I I wanted to know: um, Are you do you plan on writing any more books? Are you doing anything in the future in regards to? Uh, nothing language related. Um, I actually am working right now to improve my website because uh, I actually have a lot of writing that I've already done. And it's about the language, sorry, the countries I've lived in and visited and my comments about them. Mm -hmm. It's not so much like a travel blog, like, oh, look at the Eiffel Tower. Oh, look at me in front of the forbidden, you know, the, the forbidden city in China, nothing like that. It, it's more of my experiences in those countries, what I saw, what I thought. And some of it has to do with language, but uh, not actually about language learning. So that's my strategy right now for 2019 to read, to uh, refocus my blog. Um, maybe, you know, as I learn Greek, if I do come up with my own methodologies, you suggested, maybe I'll, I probably won't write a book, but you know, maybe I'll write about that or create a video so I can share with other people who also have visual impairments and who want to learn Greek. So that's, that's what I have for right now. If you had seven tips to give anybody on, on your experiences so far, learning the languages you have learned and traveling and whatnot, what would those be? So this isn't in order of importance. It's just what's coming up to mind. Um, uh, I'm actually going to reflect on something that you said earlier about mm -hmm. how you really didn't have that motiv the motivation to learn Portuguese. You had the influence of the other languages. And um, I think it's really important for people to be honest with themselves about why they're learning a certain language. Like one of the reasons why I don't speak fluent Serb or Croatian or Bosnian is because I actually don't like many aspects of the culture. I'll be honest. I'm, mm -hmm. I've told Bosnians about this before. It's not like it's a secret. And I lived there for 15 months and I did not speak it fluently. And given my ability to learn languages and given the fact that Serbo-Croatian Bosnian is a Slavic language and Russian is my first language, you'd think mm -hmm. I would have been totally fluent. I wasn't because I resisted speaking it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I, it would annoy my friends because they couldn't under they never knew how much I understood or not because sometimes I wouldn't understand what people are saying and other times I would completely understand it because I just somehow learned to tune it out when I didn't want to pay attention and um, that actually became one of the difficulties of living there is I had to come to terms with the fact that there were aspects of the culture that I really didn't like and that were bothering me you know irritating me on a daily basis that's there were many reasons why I left the country but that was one of them so, you know, if you really are learning a language because you want to impress somebody or you want to impress yourself, or you created some goal, but you really don't like the sound of the language, the culture, there are things about the culture that repel you, whatever it is, be honest. And if it's not floating your boat, find something else that will float your boat. Find something else that you will like. 
Mm -hmm. And because uh, at the end of the day, like if you're trying to impress somebody that you're going to learn Japanese in a year or whatever, I'm just making this up. You're only going to make yourself miserable if you don't like it. So there's no reason to be miserable, but if you're learning a language. Okay. So that's tip number one. Don't make yourself miserable. Uh, number two that goes along with number one is have fun. And, you know, like you said, you can listen for two hours to the news and it's effortless. Um, you know, for me, music is a big part of it. So I find music in languages that I want to learn or am learning. And I like, and I find music that I like. And sometimes what happens is, is that you might have a school teacher who might play one or two songs for the whole year in the, in the language. And the kids hate the, hate the music. And then they don't look for music that they actually like. So you have to do your own research, find the movies that you like, TV shows, you know, whatever. Um, number three is um, set realistic goals for yourself. Um, you know, don't try to set yourself up for failure by trying to be over, um, overachieving to the point where you're just gonna be, you know, you're not gonna be able to meet your goals. So think about what's realistic, like how much time you can actually um, give to learning languages. Like, are you gonna be listening to music or, uh, a news report or whatever while you're standing on the bus waiting to, you know, on your way to work. Like think about ways to integrate the language into your daily life and be realistic about how much you can actually do. And along with that thing about being realistic is you have to realize where you are in life. You know, when you were 16 years old, you had a lot more time to learn than probably when you're 42 and you have two kids and you're a caregiver for your parents and, you know, you have two jobs because you have to make your mortgage, you know, all these things. Right. You have to realize that there are life situations that occur that just make it so that you have less time or sometimes it's just impossible. You know, your, your cortisol levels are high enough because you have all these issues you have to deal with and language learning is just going to make you be upset because you can't do other things. So I would say that be realistic. I think that was three, right? Mm -hmm. um, so number four is really think about incorporating as much time to be listening to the language at the beginning, um, because you need to learn how the language sounds. And this is really important. There was um, a French ear, nose and throat doctor called uh, Michel Tomatis who wanted to understand why people have accents in other languages. And what he came to understand is that people have accents because they don't actually hear the range of frequencies of the language, languages they're learning. So for example, like, you know, gringos who can't roll their R's in Spanish, it could be because they're not hearing how the, that rolled R sounds. Um, and as a consequence, it's harder for them to reproduce that sounds, you know, in, you know, unless they do a lot of training with where to put their tongue in their mouth so they can roll their R. Um, but, you know, it can also be other sounds like the French, you know, to it's a sound that doesn't exist in English. So English speakers will say you, which isn't the same thing as u. So tu or tu. Tu is you mm -hmm. and tu is uh, all. Right. So um, it wasn't until someone pointed it out to a French woman pointed it out to me. She said, you know, do you realize you're, pr you're pronouncing the, the both of those the same way? And then, you know, I, uh, then I corrected myself. So it's important to listen and find, you know, even if it's like passive listening, you know, you're whatever, sweeping your floor and you're going to listen to something on the radio or you're going to listen to music, whatever it happens to be. 
So that's, that's important having all that listening. And, you know, some people say, oh, well, listening isn't that important at the beginning. I actually think it is. And if you think about it, when we're babies, you know, we listen first before we start speaking. That mm-hmm. also has to do with the way the brain is being developed. But what happens in school is that people, you know, start learn- speaking from day one. And if they never learn the pronunciation correctly, they're always going to be speaking with the wrong pronunciation with their strong accent. So for example, an Anglo speaker speaking Spanish with um, the same tone as an English and not being able to roll their R's and uh, maybe not being able to pronounce the Enya. And it's harder to undo what you've already been doing for several years. Let's say you know, you've been studying Spanish for three years and then you go to Mexico, just giving an example, mm-hmm. and you know, people are laughing at you because you have a gringo accent. Well, if you had started from the way beginning of listening and learning how Spanish is pronounced, your pronunciation would be much better than if you're trying to undo your accent. And I actually have a friend who does accent reduction classes in Silicon Valley because there are many people who come from India and from uh, China and other parts of Asia to work here. Mm-hmm. And they have trouble in meetings because people can understand them or they can tell that the people they're speaking to are really straining to understand what they're saying. So they're taking accent reduction classes. Right. And so they have to stare at themselves. They're adults here staring at themselves in front of a mirror to figure out where they're supposed to put their tongue in their mouth and you know how they're supposed to move their mouth so they can pronounce different words. And they have plenty of other things to be doing besides staring at themselves in front of a mirror. Um, And they do that and it's not cheap. I mean, Silicon Valley is an expensive place. I think accent reduction can cost, I don't know, 75 to hundred dollars an hour, if not more. Wow. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's possible to reduce an accent. I mean, if you think about it, actors, you know, they do it, but actors have dialect coaches and they're working on this for like several hours a day, just like, you know, they might be going to the gym for several hours a day too, you know, to, to be in shape for the film. So if you think about it, like just from like a purely economic point of view, if you want to, you know, think about your return on investment, your return on investment of listening at the beginning of your language learning journey to get the right accent is, is much better than what you're going to pay several years down the line to pay an accent reduction coach and spend hours, you know, staring at yourself in front of the mirror to improve your pronunciation. So save yourself the, ha- you know, the headache later on and, and work on it at the beginning. Okay, was that four or five? I, I kind of lost track there. I believe it was four. Four, okay. Uh, so three more. Um, find like a TV series that you really like in another language and watch it, get hooked on it. You know, you mentioned that you're learning Turkish. I watched... Um, this Turkish soap opera called Kurt Seyit Veshura, Kurt and Shura. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it takes place in, in Ukraine, well, former Ukraine, Crimea. And um, it's about the Turkish minority living in Crimea before World War One, And one of these Turkish men, I mean, he's Turkish, but he's born in, in Crimea. He mm-hmm. joins the, the Tsarist army, you know, fighting, f- fighting the Bolsheviks. And I actually started watching it on Spanish TV at the gym. And then I found out that I could watch it in the original Turkish, but I could only find it with Russian subtitles. It's just kind of a mess. I couldn't find it with English subtitles. So I totally got hooked on this, uh, this soap opera. And um, because I liked the, the topic. 
And I had to read it with Russian subtitles. And I don't, I read Russian, but I don't read quickly in Russian. So here I am watching this Turkish soap opera and it's actually improving my written Russian, my reading Russian. So, you know, get something that's going to get you hooked in that language or reading in that language in my case. Um, I have Harry Potter in Turkish. What's that? I have Harry Potter. You have Harry Potter in Turkish? You know, some people really got into... um, uh oh what's that called Suleiman the magnificent that's a big soap opera from turkey that's been okay. translated into different languages um it was actually on spanish tv on univision a couple of years ago in the u.s uh so whatever it is if it's harry potter if it's a tv series or if it's a comedy comedy is difficult because comedy could be difficult to understand in, in another language um so do that you know on netflix if you have a netflix account you know it depends on where you are like in the U.S., there are only like three or four movies in Greek that are on Netflix, so it's not a good place to, for, for Greek resources. Um, but for Spanish, there are tons, you know, a lot of things in Spanish. So that was five. Um, so number six, find somebody that you can practice with, but, you know, do it at a reasonable time. Um, like I, I sometimes go to a Brazilian-Portuguese um, conversation and social group and sometimes you have total beginners who show up there and, you know, they're barely speaking and it's frustrating for them because they can't understand what other people are saying. And it's also frustrating for the people listening to them because we have to like, um, you know, wait for them for like five minutes to say like three sentences. And right. it's, um, it's not a pleasant experience for both parties. And I would say, you know, get to a point where you can at least express yourself without straining, without like, you know, you're furling your brow and, and, and making people uncomfortable because you're looking for your words and join a group where you can practice the language, preferably in person, like a meetup group or a conversation group. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it could also be online and um, find somebody to practice with, like where you can do an exchange, like you help them with your, your native language, if it's English, and they help you with yours. And you can do that for free. You can find resources, you know, like that through the internet. And number seven, um, don't be afraid to make mistakes. And, um, you know, we all make mistakes uh, in languages. You know, um, I make mistakes in English sometimes. (laughs) English is my strongest language. And uh, I was listening to an interview actually recently by um, of Luis Fanon, the the founder of Duolingo, and he quoted um, a research study that was done by the Department Department of Defense in the United States, uh, which spends lots of money to teach people languages. Um, right now, you know, obviously Arabic and um, Pashtun and, uh, and uh, Urdu and other languages are in high demand for the, the, US government, the US military. And this research study wanted to understand what made the good language learners, good language learners compared to those who didn't do as well. And according to Luis Fanon, who was talking about this study, the thing that distinguished the good language learners from the not good language learners Uh was that they weren't afraid to make a mistake. And the perfectionists who are going to wait, you know, to, to, uh, until they're perfect to speak, they're the ones that fail because you're never going to be perfect. So, I know I said earlier for tip number six, you know, wait until you can actually speak to join a conversation group. Well, that that's just a practical thing, you know, just so that, you know, you can right. 
actually form sentences. But once you can form those sentences, don't be afraid that you're making mistakes. It's normal. People are making mistakes all the time. Oh, trust me. I make plenty. <laughs> I, I, I make plenty even with my Russian friends. And I actually have one that's like really impatient. And I have to tell him, I asked him last week, I said, okay, what, what do you think your proficiency level in English is? And he said, well, I think I'm like, oh, you know, I never really thought about it. And I'm like, <laughs> well, if you can go to Korea and you can speak to people in English and you can go to Thailand and you can speak a little bit of Thai and a little bit of Lao because he's Russian. And I said, you can do these things. Then you're proficient. You just need to work on reading and listening a lot more. I hate reading. I was like, guess what? It'll make you better. You know, and you're you'll be able to understand what I'm saying to you, because he wants to learn British English and American English. And I said, well, you need to choose one for now. <laughs> I don't live in jolly old England. I live in the U.S. So we speak differently. And depending on what part of the U.S. you live in, that person or persons are going to speak differently. So I live in the Midwest, even though I sound like I'm from California. Um, <laughs> You know, it's it's all about, you know, accent and, you know, people speak differently in the South, depending on what state they live in. People speak different in the East, depending on what state they live in, so forth and so on. Um, but, yeah, he, I had a conversation with his mom for two hours in Russian over the summer. <laughs> and I got to speak to his sister in Russian last week. And I realized Oh, my Russian has improved. I might be at a B2 right now. Going to a C1. Because of, you know, just doing nothing but listening and speaking all the time. Even if you speak to yourself. And I told him that, so. But I want to thank you. Спасибо большое. Пожалуйста. Это очень приятно на комментах. За Гаврила у меня сегодня нон рот Акрен Огайо. Я вам хорошите регенер и слушайте и с Новым Новым Годом. Спасибо. Спасибо. Вам тоже с Новым Годом поздравляю. And thank you to all of my 1.6k listeners and to the new people out there that are listening to this podcast for the first time. Um, happy holidays to everybody. Thank you to the sponsors of the show, um, Flipboard, where you can actually go right now and pick out your favorite articles, whether it's a newspaper, whether it's a magazine, put it all in the same folder and get your updates to whatever you like to read from Flipboard.com. So check them out. Thank you for sponsoring my podcast on Anchor.fm. Um, I will see everybody in the next podcast which will be on january 3rd 2019 with lydia um mahova of languagementoring.com thank you once again to Susanna sarivsky thank you for inviting me oh you're welcome and i will see everybody in the next episode das vidanya sim das vidanya hello hello Hi. How are you? I, good. I'm glad we finally got this thing to work. I've never used this app before. 
Yeah, this app is a piece of work. I, <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I've had so many people where I've had to say, you might want to go. Yeah, I just uh, didn't have time to, to look it up on YouTube. I thought it would just be self-evident. Anyway, here we are. So uh, we're not recording yet, right? Yes, we are. Actually. As soon as you oh, yeah. But that's okay, because I do everything in real time. So my I have like 1.6K listeners, and I've let them know I suck at editing. So everything I do is in real time. Okay. So what they see is what, or what they listen to is what they get pretty much. Okay. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, You're welcome. Language Learning Journey Podcast where amazing things happen, including technology glitches. <laughs> All right. So what would you like to know about language learning? Um, well, I've been a part of the community um, come four years now, um, from the summer, and I have been interviewing people from like Vladimir Teddy to Kirsten and Shannon Kennedy and Lindsay Williams and Ollie Richards. And I said, um, you know, I would love to hear your story because I, I heard you in episode 127 of Chris Cohen's Actual Fluency um, yep. episode recently um, when he started his season last summer. And I said, you know what? I remember seeing her on YouTube speaking like Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese and Russian and, mm -hmm. and French and Italian and whatnot. And I said, I want to interview her because I learn, I'm, I'm visually impaired, so I learn auditorily. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, I learned by music myself. And mm -hmm. I said, this would be an interesting way for my um, students who I have online to learn about languages from a different perspective. I mean, because evidently you have people that are visual learners, you have people that are auditory and kinesthetic, but to actually learn a language from, you know, watching television or listening to music or podcasts. You know, a lot of people talk about using those as, you know, tools for overall language learning, but, you know, for someone to actually use those methods too, you know, as one of their main tools to learn languages, you know, I, I find that to be fascinating. Anytime someone can do something different in the world of language learning, I'm, I'm willing to interview them. So good. Good. Well, I'm going to have some questions for you too. So uh, cool. I don't know what, maybe you should start first. This is your podcast. Um, well, I am 41 years old. I'm African-American. I'm visually impaired. I have what's called retinopathy of prematurity. So 41 years ago, I was born uh, one pound, 13 ounces. Wow. Um, and I had to stay in an incubator for like five months until I gained five pounds. And so my mom was a teenage mom, 16 going on 17, with a seventh grade education, mind you. And, you know, they didn't know I was blind until I was like one-ish, two-ish, something of that nature. So she went and was able to save the sight in my left eye, which is my good eye, and I have none in my right eye. So um, I learned print at age of four. So I learned how to read print, large print at four. I didn't learn Braille until I was eight. 
But if you have any vision whatsoever, um, they want you to use it. So I wasn't allowed to use Braille. I wrote everything longhand and I used audio the entire time, mm-hmm. all through school. That even included college, film school, so forth and so on. It wasn't until I was about 35 when the state of Ohio got me a 12 cell Braille display, which you only can read maybe a newspaper article, maybe an email. So uh, my doctor informed my family I would never be able to read print again. My vision, readable vision, declined. Um, I still see the bigger picture, so I can still see people and things clearly. I just can't see further than three feet in front of me, distance-wise, and I can't read newspaper font. But I can read the headline of a newspaper. Mm-hmm. So, because that print's big enough for me to read. Or I can see, like, the McDonald's sign. I can tell you what that looks like. But it's it's all the smaller details. So, reading subtitles on in a movie would be an impossible task. Mm-hmm. Um, with the advent of voiceover, and now that voiceover can read subtitles on the screen, I'm in, I'm in language heaven. So, I'm able to put the subtitles in whatever languages for that particular movie put it if they don't have you know the the actual the actual um language and audio i put it subtitles and have voiceover read it to me so i still get something out of it so how do you do that because do you have the original audio on of the film as the same time you have the voiceovers you're hearing Mm -hmm. at the same time yes so like is if that it's in, hard? If it's in English, then I just put French subtitles. And it reads it louder in French subtitles than you hear the English. So half the time, if it doesn't have a French audio track, but it has the actual subtitles, I'm able to have voiceover on my Apple TV read it to me. And it's turned up loud enough for me to be able to, you know, the voiceover overpowers the actual sound that's coming out of the television from the dialogue that's being spoken in English. Mm. So I'm able to block that out. Mm-hmm. Um, like I can watch a whole entire episode of Star Trek, the 2009 movie, for example, and like Norwegian subtitles, even though there's no Norwegian, you know, but it's, voiceover is able to read it because it's text to speech. So anything that comes on the screen, voiceover, read it. Mm-hmm as long as you set the subtitles to that particular. And what's so cool is that I have a Braille display that's 40 cells, which is half a page of print. And I'm able to pair that with my Apple devices. That includes my Apple TV. And I'm able to read in that particular language, the subtitles from my display in that Braille code, in that particular language. So if it's Norwegian subtitles, I have Norwegian Braille going at the same time. So I'm able to get audio and tactile at the same time. Hmm. So that's my version of reading and writing from a audio and kinesthetic uh, standpoint, not so much visual. I mean, because honestly, the whole purpose of learning a language is to verbally communicate with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I can, I can learn the alphabet and I can type it out on the keyboard and stuff like that if I have my Bluetooth keyboard. But um, I pretty much 
everything's audio. So, I mean, I think that's one of my pet peeves is because we live in the U.S., there are certain languages that are more popular that you can get information in audio-wise than others. So Spanish is one of them. Of course, I speak Spanish fluently. But it's my love-hate language because I learned it at university. Uh, it's my third language, but it's my first foreign language. Um, English is my first. American Sign Language was my second. Um, I learned that at five and became fluent because a friend of mine was taking sign language. And so she thought, oh, well, why don't I teach you this and we can communicate? Well, it benefited me in some way because I was going to a school where there was deaf people, too. So I was able to communicate. But once I got to like third, fourth, fifth grade, I no longer communicated with the deaf kids anymore because I was switched to another class. And so, therefore, I lost some of it. So I kind of equivocate that amount of knowledge is I learned it when I was little, but I forgot a lot of it. So I would put it like an A1, um, pretty much, in regards to um, knowing um, sign language. I mean, I can have a basic conversation with someone if I needed to, you know, and if they ask them, do they need any help or whatever the case is. I do a lot of more finger spelling than I do actual signing. Because I also worked with special needs um, kids who had verbal communication problems and that was the only way they were able to communicate was through sign. And I did a lot of it through hand and um, signing, so forth. And then I fast forward, I had no language of any kind other than English all the way through high school. I went to Cuyahoga Community College, Tracy in Cleveland at 23, took Spanish for four semesters, got nothing under a B, and learned it the hard way, by ear. Had a textbook, had the CDs to go with it, the workbook, three professors, two tutors, and 12 and a half hours a week of nothing but Spanish pouring into my ear. And because I didn't live on the west side, of Cleveland, I lived on the east side in the suburbs. I wasn't around a lot of Latino Americana um, personales que en um, hable el español idiomas. I literally um, used music as my way to learn more Spanish. And How did you learn grammar? Huh? How did you learn grammar? Was it all just through memorization of what you mm -hmm. heard yes. through the audio, through the book? Mm. Um, Actually, the teacher, I just literally, like, did it visually in my head. So, you know, when you have to go to um, uh, ustedes, eres, el, ella, ellos, ellas, nosotros, vosotros, all those. I learned the grammar so quickly. And because I had my Spanish class, my first one was in the morning. And then... The next semester was in the afternoon, and then it kept being in the afternoon. So when I came out, I could actually translate the written word from English to Spanish. I was able to correct people's pronunciation, their grammar, how they said things, because it was, you know, they were saying it incorrectly. I would listen to Telemundo, El Coto de Pueblo, 
um, con um, Luis, um, Senor um, Manuel Franco. They had this show on Telemundo, and I would watch it, and he had this black guy as a bailiff named Michael, and he had a Spanish book in his hand, and the, the judge was like half half American, half Mexican. But, you know, he spoke Spanish the entire time. And I can understand, like, a lot of what was going on. I would watch telenovelas. I enjoyed the cultural aspect of Spanish. Not so much speaking it. Because I wanted to learn el ruso idiomas y el francois idiomas. Not so much Spanish. Um, and I wanted to learn that for a very long time since I was like 13. But Spanish was pushed on me since I was like in the seventh grade. So I found elements of it that I enjoyed, like the dancing, the food, the culture, the people, and the music. And that's what I gravitated to more so than me actually speaking it. Because I I still listen to the same artists even today. Shakira. Ricky Martin, Santana, Enrique Iglesias, Christina Aguilera, Jennifer Lopez. I still listen to these people today. Um, you know, I didn't realize I had become fluent at speaking it. And um, it wasn't until I had a conversation with someone from Colombia on WhatsApp, and they were like, do you realize you're fluent? No. <laughs> I even lived in California for three years in, uh, in L.A. and San Bernardino and Orange, California and San Bernardino. And I tried to speak Spanish and I had a lot of negative um, reactions because they wanted to speak English or they didn't speak English at all. And so their kids were interpreting for them. So, you know, when you're asking simple things, you know, directions to somewhere or whatever, it, it was very a demotivating experience, even though I lived with a, a Mexicano familia, para uh, Diaz, um, uh, 10 months so I learned more I I heard it all the time but I just never spoke it they spoke English with me and not Spanish but my comprehension became like crazy because that's all I heard them speak all day to each other and um, but I I just I shut the Spanish off because my dream was to learn French and Russian mm-hmm. so it- what were the questions you had for me about uh, language learning through music and the media? Okay. Uh, well, my, okay. For my listeners, because they don't know who you are. Could you tell about your, how you started with languages all together? And then I'll segue in that. Sure. So my name is Susanna Zarysky and I'm the author of the book language is music which is about how to learn foreign languages using music and uh, TV and radio and movies. And I started learning languages quite early. I mean, I came, I was born in the former Soviet Union and I came to the U.S. when I was three. And then I started uh, with French when I was 11 in, in junior high school. And then I was a foreign exchange student in France for about two months and I came back and I was speaking fluently with the almost perfect accent or sometimes perfect accent. And so I knew that there was something about the way I was learning languages that was different than the way other people learn languages, but I didn't know what it was. Uh, And then I studied Spanish um, in high school and I 
advanced very quickly and I was already in a, a literature class as soon as I started in college. And then um, I studied Italian in college and I skipped, all, I just took one semester of the grammar class and I taught myself the rest of the book. And then the second semester I was already in the literature class. Mm -hmm. And so people ask me a lot, you know, what, what is it that you do? Cause you speak so well. And I was like, I, I don't know. Uh, and then I read a book by Oliver Sacks, who's a very famous British neurologist called Musicophilia. And it's about how music activates the brain and how some of his patients reacted to music. And he talked about patients who had a stroke and who couldn't talk, but they could sing mm -hmm. words, they could, they could play instruments. And he talked about how music activates more parts of the brain than spoken or written language does. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what got me thinking about, wow, it's possible actually it's not possible. I think it is that the way I was learning languages was by listening a lot, not only to songs in, in foreign languages, but also to the musicality of other languages. So I would listen to how people spoke because there's a prosody, which is, you know, the, it's kind of like the musicality of the way people speak, mm -hmm. pick up on that. And that's what gave me a good pronunciation and a good accent, because instead of speaking like a gringo in, in Spanish, I would speak like a native speaker. So I wouldn't have um, the melody of English when I spoke in Spanish. But by listening to foreign languages in, sorry, by listening to foreign language music, I was also picking up on vocabulary and other languages very quickly. And I was reinforcing grammatical patterns that I had studied. So um, if I was listening to something in the preterite in Spanish or the in French or whatever, it would, I would just remember what the conjugations were and it would be easier to remember because my brain was more activated by the song than mm -hmm. it would have been if I had just been reading the lyrics. And so I also realized that sometimes when I couldn't remember a word, I would actually like remember a verse from a song and I would like hear the verse in my head and mm -hmm. then I'll then remember the word. So then I, I wrote this book, Language is Music, and I published that over nine years ago, and now it's available in Spanish, Portuguese, and Russian. And I speak English, obviously, Russian, French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, and I also speak Serbo-Croatian or Bosnian and Ladino, but my, I'm kind of at an intermediate level because I, I speak them very rarely, so mm -hmm. I, I can be very rusty. So ask me your questions. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> um why why the majority be romance languages you know that's just how it started um but i also studied three other languages which aren't romance languages i studied hebrew arabic and hungarian and i i didn't uh, take them beyond a very basic level and arabic mm -hmm. i only studied for a few weeks unfortunately i got sick in the class and i just didn't continue Right. And I used to be able to at least read Arabic letters. And now, I mean, this was a long time ago that I studied it. So now I can only recognize certain letters. Right. Um, well, Spanish, it was easy because I grew up in California. So it was an right. obvious one to learn. And French, I, I had a personal interest in France. And then Italian, I just liked the way it sounded. And Portuguese, I actually don't even remember why I started learning Portuguese, but I did. Um, and then Serbo-Croatian because I lived in Bosnia and um, okay. I had to communicate when I lived there. But I haven't lived there for many years. So uh, that's one of the reasons it's rusty. Okay. I actually right now am returning to study Greek. I started it a year and a half ago 
and uh, I'm going back to it. And one of the issues I have with Greek is that, um, so because I have a visual disability, I, mm-hmm. I always do it one eye at a time. Uh, I sometimes have trouble reading because sometimes letters move around a bit. It doesn't happen often, but it happens. Right. And what I find with Greek, which is hard for me, is that when I'm reading it, I'm confusing the letters between the Latin alphabet and the Cyrillic alphabet and the Greek alphabet. Right. And I found only very beginning materials that are all transliterated into Latin text. That means that the Greek words are written with Latin text, the same alphabet that we use for English. Right. And the reason that's helpful to me is that that way I don't get confused between the three alphabets. And right. I contacted many institutions asking if they had resources for people with visual disabilities to learn Greek. I said, you know, for example, if somebody has a dyslexia, they're going to mix up the letters in any language that they read. So I was curious, you know, there have to be people who've had dyslexia who wanted to learn Greek. So I contacted the Greek embassy in Washington, D.C., the Greek consulate in San Francisco, the archdiocese of the Greek uh, Orthodox Church in, in in the United States. Nobody responded. Um, I contacted a university in Athens that has a program to teach Greek to foreigners. They responded that they had no materials. Hmm. So a year and a half ago, I was in Greece and uh, I was there for work and I, I had about a week off for vacation. And I found a teacher, a Greek teacher who spoke Italian and I speak Italian. So she was teaching me Greek in Italian and she would write out the letters in Latin letters um, because I explained to her my situation. Um, so I could continue working with her, you know, through Skype, but it, it really bothers me actually that there aren't resources out there that would be easy for people to use because I've never learned grammar only by, by listening. I've, I've always had to read a grammar book, you know, or, you know, conjugation tables. So I even called, contacted, um, this place in San Francisco called Lighthouse Center for the Blind. I asked them what to do. And they gave me a totally inane answer. They said, oh, listen to audiobooks in Greek. And I said, if I can't speak any Greek, an audiobook in Greek is not going to help me. It's going to help me with the pronunciation so I get used to the sounds, but it's not going to help me learn the language. <laughs> so uh, wow. I hope as I you know, learn things, you know, I might be able to, I'll, I'll be able to share with other people like what I've been able to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as probably you, Chanel, you probably, uh, okay, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I prefer not to become the poster child for how to do something in an innovative way. I would prefer that that innovative way already exists so that I right. could just follow it. Oh, trust me. When I was trying to learn the Russian alphabet and mm-hmm. I sat there and said, is there anybody that has the Russian Braille code? It took someone from a Jewish library for the blind in New York City to send me a braille copy, which I still have, of the Russian alphabet in order for me to be able to know what a tactile version of it was so I would be able to read and write in Russian braille. Nobody, and I mean no one, had nothing. I called everywhere. Mm. I was so frustrated. And that is one of the, well, the good thing is, is now that I have a 40 cell Braille display that can read in different Braille codes, Russian is one of them. Thank God. But 
you have to have the actual physical written text in that language. Mm-hmm. So I have to have, if th- there is Greek Braille, um, actually, if you want, I could call the NFB headquarters down in Baltimore, Maryland, and see if there's anything that might be um, available for Greek. I don't know. I could find out when you were telling me this. <laughs> you know, I used to be a president of uh, one of the NFB chapters here in um, Ohio. And so um, I do have some pull. I could I could find out if there's any way that there is something out there. That would be great. I mean, I don't read Braille, uh, but right. I, I would be really curious to know what they have. Thank you for that offer. Yeah. I was actually at the National Federation for the Blind on Halloween of last year. I was in, I was in Baltimore for a conference about accessibility and technology. Right. We, had a, we had a tour of the National Federation for the Blind, and it was fascinating to see all of the different machines that they had, like a um, electoral um, polling booth where you read everything in Braille and the big printers that they had. And I asked one of the people who worked there who's blind and who's interested in languages, I asked him what he does. And he said, well, I just have to listen to audio recordings of grammar books. I was like, really? That That's it? And then that's how he, you know, he studied different languages. And it, you know, it could be Chanel too, that because I didn't grow up blind, I'm used to learning by reading, you know, by reading uh, grammar books. Obviously, right. I pick up a lot of conversation because I'm very, uh, I'm very sensitive to sound. Right. But my brain just has never had to learn grammar by listening. And I don't know how keen I will be to learn in a totally different way now as an adult you know it could be easier for you to do it because this is just the way you've had to learn oh trust me i've i've been a print reader up until i was about 29 oh yeah okay so i i I know what print looks like i've had to read it up until i was 29 i could read large print and i mean like i had to carry these books around i mean they were huge and read them Mm -hmm. you know so I didn't learn text-to-speech until I was in my 20s. Um, mm. I didn't have a choice. I mean, I, I had, like, you know, the, the cassette players from the library for the blind and, and disabled. And I would sit and listen to audiobooks all the time. Like, I, I could sit there and listen to books for days on end. Now, I I just, I'll buy the ebook and I'll have voiceover read it to me in whatever language, you know, I buy it in. Mm-hmm. So, like, I have a lot of Russian books and, and Russian audio. Even though I have to download Russian audio book apps and I have to buy the book through the app. <laughs> Excuse me. I still have to, um, you know, I'm able to listen. Um, and thank God for the language learning community. Because there are a lot of people that were able to share their books with me, their ebooks, and send me their ebooks. Like, I have like Harry Potter, you name the language, I probably have it. Um, and I have Game of Thrones and Hunger Games and um, yeah, right now I'm learning French and Turkish and Italian. 
And my passive knowledge in Italian and French is very high because of the Spanish. And so um, right now I'm probably speaking French at A2, um, even though a previous guest wants me to do an entire interview with her in French eventually. <laughs> but um, yeah, I have to say that that is the biggest nightmare um, when you have a visual disability whether it's dyslexia, whether you're visually impaired and you can read large print. Um, there's some people that are visually impaired and they can still drive. The only thing is their vision might be impaired at night, so their license might be restricted to the daytime, but they mm -hmm. can still drive. Um, there are people that they read large print still, so they can read 14 font or 18 font or whatever. Um, me, if I were to read something, it would have to be 48 font, 36 font, somewhere like that in order for me to read it but because I am not permitted to read print anymore because of my visual acuity being three feet in front of me counting fingers um out of my left eye um I don't do that as much I mean it's not really a bit Bono hush sorry my guide dog is lying mm -hmm. so um I, that is one of my pet peeves. I have to pick languages where I know I can get access to something on the internet for little or nothing. Um, I've been using like Michelle Thomas, um, some Pimsleur, but it's too slow. So I stopped using it. Um, I'm using Mango languages now to do French, Italian, and Turkish. Um, I use YouTube. YouTube's my friend. Um, I use Prince 24 to watch the news in French. Um, when I start learning Arabic in 2020, I'm going to do the same thing because they got Arabic too. Um, so, yeah, I, I learn everything by ear. My whole aim for me is to be able to speak and have great conversations with people about things that I'm interested in. So whatever it is that I like doing in English, I use the same method. Um, in the same interest for whatever language I'm learning. So since I studied cinema in college and theater, I learned the vocabulary for that. I learned it for sports and, and cooking and traveling and whatever. Um, all by ear. Um, that helps with my pronunciation, my accent in certain languages. Um, you know, because everyone says, oh, you have really good pronunciation. What? especially when I speak Russian and I'm like, yes, but my Russian, <laughs> my grammar is a work in progress and I've been studying it for 45 months. So, um, but I do find that it's very hard when you're studying something like Greek. Now, are you going to study, are you studying modern Greek or Korean Greek? Oh no, no, modern Greek, modern Greek. So I can communicate with living human beings. Because I know that Donovan Nuggles is studying Corning and Monterey. Um, he hosts the Messy Fancy Guild um, mm -hmm. podcast. Yeah. So I'm going to be interviewing him next month. Um, and that I could actually say it's very hard if you have a visual disability to find materials. Mm -hmm. I mean, you literally have to call all over. To, and it is. It's, 
actually, you might want to take a page from Ollie Richards. He was doing Cantonese. And there was no hardly no materials out there. He created his own. Mm-hmm. Because he knew what he wanted to achieve. You know, like what he what his goals were in regards to learning the language. And so, um, I mean, I know that's a lot of work. But if you can't find anything, my advice, create your own. Yeah. But as I said earlier, I, uh, I don't feel like being the poster child for innovation right now. Uh, so I'll, I'll see. I'll see how it goes. You know, once I get past this beginner level where I have all these materials transliterated, you know, whether I feel more comfortable with the alphabet later on. Uh, because like when I'm in Greece, I can I can read the signs in Greek mm-hmm. and because they're written in print. Right. Uh, they're very clearly written. Uh, but, you know, if you're just g- to give me a newspaper, oh my gosh, I think that would just be overwhelming for me to. to I was going to so say, is there like an app that's in Greek that, like, an, I know that there's apps for newspapers all over the world. There has to be one for Greek. Uh, yeah, of course there are, but I, I don't see why you're, you're asking me that. Are you talking about doing a voiceover? to listen to the newspaper through voiceover right like if you wanted to if you wanted to get some you know you wanted to increase your vocabulary i mean even i I know for me i do this even though i don't understand a certain language completely i will start listening to stuff that might be a little higher than my knowledge level just so i can get used to how it sounds Mm -hmm. so i don't know if you do that or not oh Yes, of course. I mean, that's actually one of the things I, I wrote about in my book about how to train your ears to the range of frequencies, the range of sounds of another language. Like I started learning Portuguese by listening to Portuguese radio. And I didn't understand everything at the beginning um, because I, I was such, I was still a beginner learning Portuguese. Right. But the way I learned the Portuguese accent is because I was listening to the radio. And that's why I speak uh, well, my, my accent in Portuguese is a mix of Brazilian and uh, continental European Portuguese. But mm-hmm. the reason that is, is because I had a lot of exposure early on to European Portuguese through an immigrant radio station of immigrants from the Azores Islands in Portugal. So the thing with Greek, actually, I don't have an issue with the pronunciation because I used to live in a Greek neighborhood when I lived in New York. And I find the pronunciation of Greek actually quite easy. There's, I mean, there's one letter, the 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 g sound which Mm -hmm. is different but um yeah for me it's not the pronunciation now it's just i it's just the the time that i need to actually sit and you know do my studies but i really like the sound of the language and that's actually what drew me in and it's funny because i was in greece when the banks uh closed in at the end of june beginning of july of 2015 Mm -hmm. and you know you saw in the media you heard and you saw reports of when you read reports of people queuing up in front of the banks especially pensioners who were trying to get up to their 60 euros a day or whatever they were allowed to get out of the banks and I remember being at a bus stop waiting for the bus and I saw a few people in front of a in front of the, the bank you know waiting to get their money and I had this thought I want to learn Greek and I thought to myself at the time, are you crazy? You're in a country which is literally bankrupt. The banks are closed. People are lining up to get their money. And all, and you're thinking, yeah, you want to learn Greek. So I just thought, you know, I was 
crazy. And I didn't do anything about it. But then I just kept on having, having this thought in my mind, you know, mm-hmm. after the banks opened, I was back in the US. I want to learn Greek. I want to learn Greek. And then when I heard the Greek language spoken, I really liked it. So I thought, okay, that might have been a moment of folly as I was at the bus station in Greece. But no, I, I, I want to learn this language. It's, it's a sincere desire I have. You know, it's funny you say this because I'm married to Russian and French. Mm-hmm. Like there is no divorce. There is no alimony payments. I'm 100% <laughs> married to these languages. And I mean, I have so many friends from Russia and Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and Turkmenistan and Ukraine that they're like, you need to come over here. I'm like, yes, I want to once I get a passport. Because <laughs> uh, I love all things Russian, like literally. I I was talking to someone recently. I was helping them with their English online and they're from Toronto. Well, they live in Toronto, but they're from Russia originally. And we were talking and I said, well, what helped me was listening to President Putin's marathon um, state to state, you know, television. He just had one Thursday, which I got to go and, and re-listen to. The only criticism I have is I did not like the shirt he would wear. <laughs> but, but I love his voice. So, and he speaks very good Russian. So I, so I'll sit and listen to whatever he's saying on, you know, to get my political, you know, vocabulary in check. And, and I, I actually had RT channel on my, when I had cable for a whole year, I did nothing but listen to that one channel. And I mean, every day from 6 a.m. to 12 midnight. Nothing but Russian. And it got to the point where I could actually understand what was being, what was going on. And my favorite part about the whole experience was it was effortless. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a grammar book. I did nothing. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I mean, grammar books are great, but I kind of like learning through context. Mm-hmm. So I like getting a book and, and listening to it, like by Nari Mir, for example. And I, that I like War and Peace better than Anna Karenina, mm. um, even though people think I'm crazy. Oh, you actually like that book. You actually read that book. Uh, I watched the whole BBC marathon that they had, the, the, the miniseries last year that they came out with of War and Peace. Mm-hmm. All day Friday, I did nothing but sit and watch it. And I just was hooked. And then I went back and listened to 73 hours of nothing but binary mare in Russian. And he, um, someone said, have you lost your mind? <laughs> and I said, no. I was like, why do you guys hate your own literature? I mean, you have some of the greatest writers in the world. You know, and I'm a big history buff. So that, you know, I was big on the Revolutia, of, you know, Rossi and how it all came about and the Mongols and the hordes and the czars and you now like people were flipping out that I could tell them about their own history mm-hmm. and I said well y'all's is a hell of a lot better than ours <laughs> as much as I I mean I, I hate to say it you know I I've 
that was what got me really hooked into the polyglot world was that when I started learning Russian, the Russians really welcomed me with open arms into their community. And because um, I got a lot of flack from a lot of Latinos. Uh, why don't I speak your language as good as I speak? If I can learn your language, which means English, then why can't you learn mine to the same amount of you know, proficiency? And I said, because A, I don't want to, B, I don't have to, and C, I like certain parts of you guys' culture better than I do speaking Spanish. But I just felt that a lot, I got a lot of flack and a lot of negativity. And so that deterred me tremendously from speaking it. It wasn't until 11 months ago I started speaking it for the first time. So, in Spanish. So, yeah, I, my whole uh, goal, pretty much, is to have people come on my show, talk about their experiences, uh, because everyone's experience at learning languages, you know, people talk about the success stories of how they learn languages, but people don't talk about what they have to go through to actually learn a language. Or like I interviewed Robin McPherson last weekend, and I enjoyed his, his YouTube videos because of, you know, he was so real and honest about what he was going through, you know, overall not just with his language learning, but his life in general. And it just, it, it gave a human, a more human and deep connection to what it means to be a polyglot or a linguist or a language learner. Um, you know, because a lot of these people, they, they're successful. But no one's talking about how, what trials and tribulations they went along the way to get to where they are. You know. And so I, I find that to be like, you know, very, very um, heartwarming and to me, fulfilling as someone that mm -hmm. enjoys, you know, that's the other reason I, you know, I want to, Yahachu Rebotet Upedi Budget, Ruskum Yezit e Franciscum Yezit, Za Organizatio Abidet Nanaya Nazia Vot New York. Gorda vot shesha klishnei, but the most yellow blue gavavila na ruskum yezak origin. But that's my long-term goal. For me personally, and. I guess, you know, now I have 1.6K listeners. I've only been out since May. You know, my dream was to have my own podcast and start my own podcast to help people um, see language learning in a totally different light. I mean, because I, I listen to a lot of different people's podcasts and some of it's different and some of it's not, you know, in regards to information. Well, and, you know, I, oh, sorry. Go mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you know, I, I think you're right in... That he, even though you you're, you know you're talking about when you're listening to War and Peace and watching Putin for his four-hour marathon talk that you know it was effortless that you were you were just able to understand and and it was beautiful, and those are the moments that are usually like advertised. You know, it's yesterday actually a friend of mine 
said, oh, you know, in the, on the radio, I hear about this app for language learning, how it's advertised, and they make it look like it's so easy. And I'm like, yeah, it, it's, an, it's a paid radio announcer or actor who's doing the, the, the spiel, you know, for whatever app it is or software program. It's not actually a language learner. Because a language learner, if you really get down to it, you're going to learn about the things that are difficult. It's not all ponies and rainbows or, you know, whatever that expression is about making everything easy. And I think it's important, you know, for you, especially since you have a visual disability, to talk about what you're going through. Because you might inspire other people who are visually impaired, who thought that they couldn't learn a language and don't know what, what, you know, is coming their way. And if you can uh, warn people like, this is what I did. This was difficult. I found this other alternative that worked out better. You know, you're not only, you're not only expressing yourself like through like as a catharsis for yourself, but you're just also helping other people. Right. Yep. And you know, it's funny because in a lot of ways, like I'm right now, I'm the only one out here that's visually impaired. Mm-hmm. That has their, I mean, there are people that are visually impaired, and then there are people that are completely blind. And they put me to shame when it comes down to podcasting, and, and they have their own radio shows, and, you know, because they're more on the music side of things, you know, they like to do the, the disc jockey side of things on the internet. And, um, you know, they have their radio shows and, and whatnot. And so, and I said, I think that's great because they're more technology inclined. Like they can take a computer apart, put it back together. They know how to use voiceover and JAWS and NVDA. And I'm like, my brain doesn't work like that. I'm more artistic. I'm more, I studied theater in college. I studied film at film school. I have my certification to teach English as a foreign language to business people and young learners. Um, You know, I teach people online and as a community tutor uh so forth and so on i mean i haven't even come up with a method yet you know because someone asked me how do i learn and I, like by ear <laughs> you know I, I sit and i listen and there are days when i actually do fall asleep you know and i find that early in the morning or late at night is the best time for me to learn anything because it's completely silent and i live in an apartment building so you know how that is if, if you have a lot of people around moving mm-hmm. closing doors you know you don't really have as much concentration time when there's silence so I, I i like it that way and i can go for long stretches like two to three hours like i did two hours of listening to the news in french this morning before i i got on with you this afternoon that was my language learning for today um so um, but I mean, I knew nothing and literally three years ago about polyglot, nothing. I knew who was who, where to find information. It was a nightmare. And I, I do think a lot of people who have, you know, helped me along the way. Um, but a lot of it was me looking on the internet, me calling places. And then saying, well, you know, they will eventually come out with Harry Potter in Russian, whether it's ebook, which I have all the ebooks, um, or audio. And that that is the problem. Now they have it in ebook. They don't have it in audio. 
Um, I've people over in Russia have had to send me MP3 recordings of Harry Potter because in Russian because you can't find it anywhere. So that I mean, there are certain languages that I've had to get other people that have the files send them to me because that is one of the main problems. People, like, I remember I was interviewing Chris Brohom like two months ago. And he said, well, you live in the U.S. You should be able to have access to everything. And I said, what? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. It's not that easy. You know, you, you bring up a good point about uh, how your language learning is much more effective when it's quiet. And generally for people who have visual impairments, just in, in my non-scientific sample, sample size of the people I've spoken to, it's quite common that we are very sensitive to noise and sound because we're using our, audio, our, our auditory cortex probably more so than people who don't have a visual impairment because we're relying on auditory clues to understand where we are in space and what's going on. And as a result, we're much more sensitive to, to sound. And I find I'm, you know, there are other factors that also are part of that. Like if you're an extrovert, it might not be as bothersome to you to be around a lot of noise. But if you're an introvert, and you're highly sensitive, and you have a visual impairment, then it's like hell on earth to be in a place that's really loud, and you can't get anything done. And sometimes it's hard for me, you know, I when I try to explain to people like, I need to leave because it's too loud, they don't get it. Because they don't have that same right. sensitivity to sound or where some people they can work in a noisy cafe and, you know, study whatever I couldn't do it. So I totally get what you're saying, where you, in order to listen to your two hours of French news or listening to Vladimir Putin for four hours, you have to choose a time when you know your neighbors aren't going to be making a bunch of noise and not everyone's going to turn on their water. So you're not going to hear the water pipes at the same time. Those are important details to, to consider for sure. I mean, I'm up at five in the morning because I have a yellow Labrador hmm. um, guide dog and I'm up with him to feed him, take him out. And as I'm doing it and I'm making my coffee, God forbid I don't have that. Um, I have the news going on in my head, you know, and in my ear. And, you know, I had the, the pleasure to interview Slovak polyglot extraordinaire uh, Vladimir Skolpetti back in October. And he asked me this question. He said, well, how do you how do you learn like Chinese Braille? And I was like, I haven't learned Chinese yet. <laughs> um, and I don't know if I want to, um, to be honest. I mean, uh, we have a large population here in Akron um, of, of Chinese speaking people, but I really don't know if that's a language I really want to learn. I mean, I, I have to have a, a real valid reason for learning something like, Right now, I'm into Turkish. Mm -hmm. And that's because I'm a history buff. So I wanted to know more about the Ottoman Empire. I knew, okay, I might not go to Istanbul. Okay, fine. Technically, these days, you don't need to go to Istanbul. You can, I, I mean, I, I found people to speak Turkish with online already. 
And so, you know, I'm, I'm using the speak from day one approach um, of speaking, learning your basic phrases and util- utilizing them right away. And um, so, you know, I'm actually done with chapter two of Mango, going into chapter three, unit one of um, next week. And I do a little bit from each from each chapter every single day, and then I go back and revisit the same stuff just so I remember that I remember this and how this sound and what the, you know. And um, you know, I'm able to interpret from what little I know um, in my head. And I mean, I've gotten to the point now where I'm connecting with the language. So even when I'm not practicing it, it's in my head, like a word to come up in Turkish and. I'll hear myself actually voicing it out loud in Turkish mm-hmm. without even like having to think about it. So, you know, I was like, this language is going to stick. Um, I did six weeks of Brazilian Portuguese and my motivation was really bad. Actually, I wanted to speak with um, Lucas Bigetti of Language Biz by Christmas. Christmas is Tuesday. Didn't happen. Um, after six weeks, I said no, because it, my Spanish and my Italian kept bleeding into Portuguese. And I just said, no, I tried it for six weeks. I really don't like this. I, I, I don't have anyone to speak it to in the town that I'm in. So I'm going to stop, even though I made some really cool friends. Um, but yeah, I... I said I'll stick with the Italian and the French and the Spanish that I know and let those romance languages be the ones that I I learn you know and a lot of it's because of cinematic reasons I like um, French cinema and French cuisine and French fashion and the scene goes for Italian too so that's another reason I wanted to learn both of those for that reason and for the French it was the history and the literature as well and so, um, but eventually I plan on learning Egyptian, Arabic, and Japanese. And I have like 26% West African in my bloodline. So I plan on learning Swahili at some point. And then I said, I'm, I'm having a cutoff point because I need to maintain all this once I, I get to a certain, a certain level in each of these. Because oh, you've got a lot of ambitious plans. Uh, yeah, it, but it's funny because, like, I'm someone that could probably learn about three languages at one time um, and not get them mixed up in my head, um, mainly because I try to focus on and in, in put my brain in that space. And some people have difficulties doing that. Like, they, they really do have headaches after speaking two hours of Spanish. And I did that, and I didn't realize I was fluent in Spanish until I actually did that. I spoke with someone for two hours in Spanish, and I really forced myself to break that that plateau wall, and I did. I mean, there were words I forgot, of course, but I was able to substitute other words for the words I couldn't remember off the top of my head, and I knew I was fluent when I didn't have to break into English that much, and I do the same thing for Russian, too. I don't... Any language I'm learning... I tried to keep my brain into that language because, you know, I, I, yeah, 
I mean, I knew I, my Russian was good when I could speak to someone that didn't speak a look of English. They only knew Russian for two hours and make them laugh. Good. And I did. I have to warn you. Um, I need to go soon. It's already it's already noon, so okay. we've been on for about almost an hour. I wanted to know: Are there any other questions that you had for me? Um. Yeah, two more. Um, okay. I, I wanted to know, um, are you, do you plan on writing any more books? Are you doing anything in the future in regards to? Uh, nothing language related. Um, I actually am working right now to improve my website because uh, I actually have a lot of writing that I've already done. And it's about the language, sorry, the countries I've lived in and visited and my comments about them mm -hmm. it's not so much like a travel blog like oh look at the eiffel tower oh look at me in front of the forbidden you know the, the forbidden city in china nothing like that it, it's more of my experiences in those countries what i saw what i thought and some of it has to do with language but uh not actually about language learning so that's my strategy right now for 2019 to read to uh, refocus my blog um, maybe, you know, as I learn Greek, if I do come up with my own methodologies, you suggested, maybe I'll, I probably won't write a book, but you know, maybe I'll write about that or create a video so I can share with other people who also have visual impairments and who want to learn Greek. So that's, that's what I have for right now. If you had seven tips to give anybody on, on your experiences so far, learning the languages you have learned and traveling and whatnot, what would those be? So this isn't in order of importance. It's just what's coming up to mind. Um, uh, I'm actually going to reflect on something that you said earlier about mm -hmm. how you really didn't have that motiv the motivation to learn Portuguese. You had the influence of the other languages. And um, I think it's really important for people to be honest with themselves about why they're learning a certain language. Like, one of the reasons why I don't speak fluent Serbo Croatian or Bosnian is because I actually don't like many aspects of the culture. I'll be honest. I'm, mm -hmm. I've told Bosnians about this before. It's not like it's a secret. And I lived there for 15 months and I did not speak it fluently. And given my ability to learn languages and given the fact that Serbo Croatian, Bosnian is a Slavic language and Russian is my first language, you'd think mm -hmm. I would have been totally fluent. I wasn't because I resisted speaking it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I, it would annoy my friends because they couldn't under, they never knew how much I understood or not. Cause sometimes I wouldn't understand what people are saying. And other times I would completely understand it because I just somehow learned to tune it out when I didn't want to pay attention. And um, that actually became one of the difficulties of living there is I had to come to terms with the fact that there were aspects of the culture that I really didn't like and that were bothering me, you know, irritating me on a daily basis. That's, there were many reasons why I left the country, but that was one of them. So, you know, if you really are learning a language because you want to impress somebody or you want to impress yourself, or you created some goal, but you really don't like the sound of the language, the culture, there are things about the culture that repel you, whatever it is, be honest. And if it's not floating your boat, find something else that will float your boat. Find something else that you will like. Mm -hmm. And because uh, at the end of the day, like if you're trying to impress somebody that you're going to learn Japanese in a year or whatever, I'm just making this up. You're only going to make yourself miserable if you don't like it. So there's no reason to be miserable, but if you're learning a language. Okay, so that's tip number one. Don't make yourself miserable. 
Uh, number two, that goes along with number one is have fun. And, you know, like you said, you can listen for two hours to the news and it's effortless. Um, you know, for me, music is a big part of it. So I find music in languages that I want to learn or am learning. And I like, and I find music that I like. And sometimes what happens is, is that you might have a school teacher who might play one or two songs for the whole year in the, in the language. And the kids hate the, hate the music. And then they don't look for music that they actually like. So you have to do your own research, find the movies that you like, TV shows, you know, whatever. Um, number three is um, set realistic goals for yourself. Um, you know, don't try to set yourself up for failure by trying to be over, um, overachieving to the point where you're just going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to meet your goals. So think about what's realistic, like how much time you can actually um, give to learning languages. Like, are you going to be listening to music or uh, a news report or whatever while you're standing on the bus waiting to, you know, on your way to work? Like, think about ways to integrate the language into your daily life and be realistic about how much you can actually do. And along with that thing about being realistic is you have to realize where you are in life. You know, when you were 16 years old, you had a lot more time to learn than probably when you're 42 and you have two kids and you're a caregiver for your parents and, you know, you have two jobs because you have to make your mortgage, you know, all these things. Right. You have to realize that there are life situations that occur that just make it so that you have less time or sometimes it's just impossible. You know, your, your cortisol levels are high enough because you have all these issues you have to deal with and language learning is just going to make you be upset because you can't do other things. So I would say that be realistic. I think that was three, right? Mm -hmm. um, so number four is really think about incorporating as much time to be listening to the language at the beginning, uh, because you need to learn how the language sounds. And this is really important. There was um, a French ear, nose, and throat doctor called uh, Michel Tomatis, who wanted to understand why people have accents in other languages. And what he came to understand is that people have accents because they don't actually hear the range of frequencies of the language, languages they're learning. So for example, like, you know, gringos who can't roll their R's in Spanish, it could be because they're not hearing how the, that rolled R sounds. Um, and as a consequence, it's harder for them to reproduce that sound, you know, in, you know, unless they do a lot of training with where to put their tongue in their mouth so they can roll their R. Um, but, you know, it can also be other sounds like the French, you know, it's a, it's a sound that doesn't exist in English. So English speakers will say you, which isn't the same thing as U. So tu or tu, tu is you and tu is uh, all. Right. So um, it wasn't until someone pointed out to a French woman pointed out to me, she said, you know, do you realize you're, you're pronouncing the, the both of those the same way? And then, you know, I, uh, then I corrected myself. So it's important to listen and find, you know, even if it's like passive listening, you know, you're whatever sweeping your floor and you're going to listen to something on the radio or you're going to listen to music, whatever it happens to be. So that's, that's important having all that listening. And, you know, some people, say, oh, well, listening isn't that important at the beginning. I actually think it is. And if you think about it, 
when we're babies, you know, we listen first before we start speaking. That mm-hmm. also has to do with the way the brain is being developed. But what happens in school is that people, you know, start learn- speaking from day one. And if they never learn the pronunciation correctly, they're always going to be speaking with the wrong pronunciation with their strong accent. So for example, an Anglo speaker speaking Spanish with um, the same tone as an English and not being able to roll their R's and uh, maybe not being able to pronounce the N-Y. And it's harder to undo what you've already been doing for several years. Let's say you know, you've been studying Spanish for three years and then you go to Mexico, just giving an example. Mm-hmm. And you know, people are laughing at you because you have a gringo accent. Well, if you had started from the way beginning of listening and learning how Spanish is pronounced, your pronunciation would be much better than if you're trying to undo your accent. And I actually have a friend who does accent reduction classes in Silicon Valley because there are many people who come from India and from uh, China and other parts of Asia to work here. Mm-hmm. And they have trouble in meetings because people can understand them or they can tell that the people they're speaking to are really straining to understand what they're saying. So they're taking accent reduction classes. Right. And so they have to stare at themselves. They're adults here staring at themselves in front of a mirror to figure out where they're supposed to put their tongue in their mouth and you know how they're supposed to move their mouth so they can pronounce different words. And they have plenty of other things to be doing besides staring at themselves in front of a mirror. Um, and they do that and it's not cheap. I mean, Silicon right. Valley is an expensive place. I think accent reduction can cost, I don't know, 75 to hundred dollars an hour, if not more. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's possible to reduce an accent. I mean, if you think about it, actors, you know, they do it, but right. actors have dialect coaches and they're working on this for like several hours a day, just like, you know, they might be going to the gym for several hours a day too, you know, to, to be in shape for the film. So if you think about it, like just from like a purely economic point of view, if you want to, you know, think about your return on investment, your return on investment of listening at the beginning of your language learning journey to get the right accent is, is much better than what you're going to pay several years down the line to pay an accent reduction coach and spend hours, you know, staring at yourself in front of the mirror to improve your pronunciation. So save yourself the, ha- you know, the headache later on and, and work on it at the beginning. Okay, was that four or five? I, I kind of lost track there. I believe it was four. Four, okay. Uh, so three more. Um, find like a TV series that you really like in another language and watch it, get hooked on it. You know, you mentioned that you're learning Turkish. I watched... Um, this Turkish soap opera called Kurt Seyit Vesshura, Kurt and Shura. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it takes place in, in Ukraine, well, former Ukraine, Crimea. And um, it's about the Turkish minority living in Crimea before World War One, And one of these Turkish men, I mean, he's Turkish, but he's born in, in Crimea. He mm-hmm. joins the, the Tsarist army, you know, fighting, f- fighting the Bolsheviks. And I actually started watching it on Spanish TV at the gym. And then I found out that I could watch it in the original Turkish, but I could only find it with Russian subtitles. It was kind of a mess. I couldn't find it with English subtitles. So I totally got hooked on this, uh, this soap opera and um, because I liked the, the topic. And I had to read it with Russian subtitles. And I, don't, I read Russian, but I don't read quickly in Russian. So here I am watching this Turkish soap opera and it's actually improving my written Russian, my reading Russian. So, you know, get something that's going to get you hooked. 
in that language or reading in that language in my case. Um, I have Harry Potter in Turkish. What's that? I have Harry Potter. You have Harry Potter in Turkish? You know, some people really got into, um, uh, oh, what's that called? Suleiman the Magnificent. That's a big soap opera from Turkey that's been okay. translated into languages. Um, it was actually on Spanish TV on Univision a couple of years ago in the U.S. Uh, so whatever it is, if it's Harry Potter, if it's a TV series, or if it's a comedy, comedy is difficult because comedy can be difficult to understand in, in another language. Um, so do that, you know, on Netflix, if you have a Netflix account, you know, it depends on where you are. Like in the U.S., there are only like three or four movies in Greek that are on Netflix. So it's not a good place to, for, for Greek resources. Um, but for Spanish, there are tons, you know, a lot of things in Spanish. So that was five. Um, so number six, find somebody that you can practice with, but, you know, do it at a reasonable time. Um, like I, I sometimes go to a Brazilian Portuguese um, conversation and social group. And sometimes you have total beginners who show up there and, you know, they're barely speaking and it's frustrating for them because they can't understand what other people are saying. And it's also frustrating for the people listening to them because we have to like, um, you know, wait for them for like five minutes to say like three sentences. And right. it's, um, it's not a pleasant experience for both parties. And I would say, you know, get to a point where you can at least express yourself without straining, without like, you know, you're furling your brow and, and, and making people uncomfortable because you're looking for your words and join a group where you can practice the language, preferably in person, like a meetup group or a conversation group, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it could also be online and um, find somebody to practice with, like where you can do an exchange, like you help them with your, your native language, if it's English and they help you with yours and you can do that for free. You can find resources, you know, like that through the internet. And number seven, um, don't be afraid to make mistakes. And, um, you know, we all make mistakes uh, in languages. You know, um, I make mistakes in English sometimes. <laughs> English is my strongest language. And uh, I was listening to an interview actually recently by um, Lu of Luis Fanon, the the founder of Duolingo. And he quoted um, a research study that was done by the Department, Department of Defense in the United States, uh, which spends lots of money to teach people languages. Um, right now, you know, obviously Arabic and um, Pashtun and, uh, and uh, Urdu and other languages are in high demand for the, the, US, government, the US military. And this research study wanted to understand what made the good language learners, good language learners compared to those who didn't do as well. And according to Luis Fanon, who was talking about this study, the thing that distinguished the good language learners from the not good language learners uh -huh. was that they weren't afraid to make a mistake. And the perfectionists who are going to wait, you know, to, to uh, until they're per perfect to speak, they're the ones that fail because you're never going to be perfect. So, I know I said earlier for tip number six, you know, wait until you can actually speak to join a conversation group. Well, that, that's just a practical thing, you know, just so that, you know, you can right. actually form sentences. But once you can form those sentences, don't be afraid that you're making mistakes. It's normal. People are making mistakes all the time. Oh, trust me. I make plenty. 
<laughs> I, I, I make plenty even with my Russian friends and I actually have one that's like really impatient and I have to tell him I asked him last week I said okay what what do you think your proficiency level in English is and he said well I think I'm like oh you know I never really thought about it and I'm like <laughs> well if you can go to Korea and you can speak to people in English and you can go to Thailand and you can speak a little bit of Thai and a little bit of Lao because he's Russian, and I said, you can do these things, then you're proficient. You just need to work on reading and listening a lot more. I hate reading. I was like, guess what? It'll make you better. <laughs> you know, and you're, you'll be able to understand what I'm saying to you because he wants to learn British English and American English. And I said, well, you need to choose one for now. I don't live in jolly old England. I live in the U.S. So we speak differently. And depending on what part of the U.S. you live in, that person or persons are going to speak differently. So I live in the Midwest, even though I sound like I'm from California. Um, you know, it's it's all about, you know, accent and, you know, people speak differently in the South depending on what state they live in. People speak different in the East, depending on what state they live in, so forth and so on. Um, but yeah, he, I had a conversation with his mom for two hours in Russian over the summer. <laughs> and I got to speak to his sister in Russian last week. And I realized, oh, my Russian has improved. I might be at a B2 right now, going to a C1. <laughs> because of you know just doing nothing but listening and speaking all the time even if you speak to yourself mm -hmm. and I told him that so but I want to thank you um Ohio Спасибо. Спасибо. Вам тоже с Новым годом поздравляю. And thank you to all of my 1.6k listeners and to the new people out there that are listening to this podcast for the first time. Um, happy holidays to everybody. Thank you to the sponsors of the show, um, Flipboard where you can actually go right now and pick out your favorite articles, whether it's a newspaper, whether it's a magazine, put it all in the same folder and get your updates to whatever you like to read from flipboard.com. So check them out. Thank you for sponsoring my podcast on anchor.fm. Um, I will see everybody in the next podcast, which will be on January 3rd, 2019 with Lydia, um, Mahova of languagementoring.com. Thank you once again to Susanna Sarevsky. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. And I will see everybody in the next episode. Das Vidania, Sim. Das Vidania.